Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 28th of June 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. Hello chaps. What are we going to talk about? I don't know if there's any news. <laughs> we could mention the seam cell. We could mention the oh, seam yes. cell. Well, we've mentioned it. No. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So the steam sale is a thing now. It is happening. Steam until, sale. Yeah, until no early way. July, fifth of July. Do they? I didn't actually pay attention. Do they do any like special bullshit this time? Any like? There is a, a sticker book. There's oh, okay. a, a beach themed sticker book, uh, and it is it is bullshit. There's, there's <laughs> no reason to invest time in that whatsoever. You get stickers for spending money and completing achievements like populating your wish list or mm. looking through your entire queue or anything sort of in the kind of ancillary shop activity things engaging basically i wonder why they do it um towards the end of a month because i've always thought this because I'm, I'm always like um you know it's just before payday when uh, you know i i can afford games but i'm always less likely to buy games because it's kind of coming up on a mm. uh, on, but whereas if it was the week after um payday across like you know america and the uk I would buy so much shit <laughs> just for the uh, for the feeling of oh, I've just been paid. Let's go and uh, buy some things. So I'm kind of I wonder why what the logic is behind. Maybe there is no logic. They're just like let's do it now. Yeah, mm. I mean maybe it's yeah. I don't know. It's a good point. I mean obviously it works for them because it makes mm, infinite sure. money. But you know, so yeah. So it's like most recent Steam sales. There aren't any daily deals or any anything like that. So there's no limit on when you can get the things you want because that is good. Yeah, that system is gone except the end of the wholesale obviously yes obviously so i guess there may be a crash at the end but i mean there's no reason to wait till the end of the sale to hope yeah. you get an extra discount or something mm, like which that. which is why they stopped doing that because they didn't want people to feel like you know they had to kind of play a, well <laughs> they do want them to play a game but they want it to be the weird bullshit game they made up and not the <laughs> the economic game of <laughs> don't buy it now because it might be cheaper mm. later yeah, the funny thing about that weird bullshit game they made up is that um it really doesn't do anything like i was wondering if you get like discounts for finishing pages of the sticker book or something like nope <laughs> nope you just get the satisfaction of having a permanent memento of the great time you had purchasing things in the 2017 <laughs> steam summer sale Did you guys buy anything i bought hyperlight drifter which i haven't paid yet but i've been meaning to and dead cells because on your recommendation pretty much tom mm-hmm. so that's those were good I, i'd like there's some bigger things i'd quite like to get like far cry primal is down to 20 quid i think and that's oh, another cool. one of your recommendations tom that <laughs> i keep meaning to play um there's something else uh tyranny as well as on sale mm. i've the reason i haven't bought both of those is because i am currently like i'm trying to limit myself to like one big game like an open world game that kind of thing at a time and i'm currently yeah. um playing or i've been you know trying to play uh near automata so like i'd like to spend proper amounts of time with that rather than get distracted and do something else straight away and also there's knowledge like and i you know didn't finish uh pillars of eternity uh, i'd like to go back to that before i play tyranny you know so there's like pillars is a lot better than tyranny as well right i, I bounced right off tyranny uh i think there's it's got good qualities but pillars is, is the the promise of that huge world and you know being able to sink hundreds and hundreds of hours into it that's what pillars gives you whereas tyrannies feels like a much more focused shorter game mm. which is good i mean it's good to have the choice but pillars is the one i would say okay that's good to know mm. so yeah how about you guys anything jump out uh i bought steam world dig 
Mm. And I'm going to preface this by saying Steam Mode Heist is a very good game. You should go and buy it. Um, it's like XCOM and it's side on uh, with oh, ricocheting yeah. bullets and stuff. Mm. Steam Mode Dig, uh, like Steam Mode Heist is, is their more recent game. And I knew Steam Mode Dig was a big deal and that um, uh, I should have played it, but I hadn't. Um, so I thought I'll, uh, you know, I like Steam Mode Heist. You should go and get that. I don't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's more to it, but it seems extremely... You know the kind of Skinner boxy part of Minecraft where, you know, you have to hit the block six times or something before it breaks and um, every now and then on an irregular basis you get a little seam of of ore and that's exciting and you get then you can use the ore to get a better pickaxe and mine tougher stuff and uh, mine more precious things. Uh, in Minecraft that's just like, uh, you know, the progression system for you know a huge open world game about creativity and exploration and whatever else you want it to be um and as far as i've played in seymour dig it seems to be just the mining part <laughs> there's enemies and they, there are like little i, I found I, what i think is kind of a challenge room but i didn't really enjoy it um and yeah it just seems very grim coming from seymour heist which is very imaginative and very um has a sense of adventure you're in a spaceship flying around um meeting weird characters and um um destroying pirates and raiding other people's ships and stuff um and this really just seems about digging so far i haven't played a huge amount of it but i just was not compelled to go back to it how are you tom uh i was going to buy life is strange uh, but then it came onto ps4 for free <laughs> so i mean even at steam sale prices i thought for was better <laughs> Uh, um, I Far Cry Primal is a really good shout actually because I feel like playing Far Cry but I I just bounced off Far Cry 4 it was so similar to 3 for me mm. the world itself mm-hmm. um, that I, I didn't really feel that interested whereas Primal obviously solves that by having loads of tigers in it or whatever cavemen's yep lots of cavemen's there's loads of tigers in every modern Far Cry game that's true actually yeah it's a good point <laughs> I was reminded um, of Primal actually because of playing um, uh, Zelda on the Switch and uh, was getting uh, excited anytime see any two things interact that aren't me <laughs> yeah and uh it just reminded me how much of that there was in primal primal was just everywhere you go 100 percent of the time there is a pack of wolves chasing down some deer and then some cavemen come across the wolves and they try and hunt them but then a bear shows up and then the cavemen run away from the bear and then the wolves attack the bear and then something sets on fire <laughs> and it's just <laughs> like that is just happening all over the place um, one thing I would say is that Wolfenstein The New Order mm. is half price and it's about £7.50 or something ridiculous for a, That's nuts. a great game. Uh, and I, I've raised that one in particular because I feel still feel like it was a bit overlooked when it came out. Yeah. And maybe that comes from, you know, working for a PC gamer at the time when it came to our Game of the Year awards. Like, we reflected back on it. We're like, well, why don't we give Wolfenstein The New Order more? Because like that game was one yeah, of the best I, games. Yeah, I think I, I was waving the flag for it because I reviewed yeah. it for PCG. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... I think it took a while for all of us to play it through. And then once mm. we had, it's like, wow, this is great. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I get banging on about it, but like, yeah. And I, well, I think Bethesda's sales have been pretty aggressive. Like, mm. so Doom is pretty cheap. New Doom as well, which oh, is great. also great. Fantastic. Um, Dishonored 2 has got a pretty hefty discount mm. and that's amazing. So like, like for less than 50 yeah. quid, you can pick all those up. That is insane that, that you're getting so many good games there, like proper close to nineties, sometimes exceeding nineties. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I remember seeing a bit of, um, uh doom footage just in the e3 conference uh i guess talking about their vr version of it but it was just i think it was just footage of the normal game um uh, no i suppose it was the vr version but it looked identical um and it reminded me how kind of like hyper real that game looks something to do with like mm. i've got to imagine it's carmack's legacy um because he, he was always um obsessive about 
getting extremely good performance um and it sort of looks like it's running at at uh, even higher than 60 fps i mean mm. like you know games can do that and and uh it's usually not that interesting because you don't really doesn't really uh make any visual difference to my eyes but there is something like weirdly smooth about doom and i think it's actually not so much um the frame rate it's probably a whole bunch of like post-processing effects mm. and a lot about like the lighting makes everything look incredibly everything is incredibly detailed but everything's incredibly detailed in every game uh, but somehow it kind of comes to life more in doom everything's they've done something clever to kind of make sure everything is always lit in some way that lets you um that really brings out the detail and makes it kind of look not real because it's an incredibly unrealistic game but uh, really kind of convincing it's like being ideally pissed <laughs> like you're at the point where you have like perfect fluid control of your crystal body clear. and everything is crystal clear and illuminated mm. momentarily before you you tip over literally and figuratively into <laughs> into post ideal pissed Maybe it's a, a, a aliasing thing because uh, loads of anti-aliasing is done via post-processing these days. Um, mm. It's because it's so expensive to do it just in the normal way. Maybe just Doom just has a really sharp one, or maybe it does just anti-aliase properly and that gives everything that crisp edge mm. and that, mm. that outline. The nerdiest thing I'll say this week on the Great and Global, we ask <laughs> why them caco demons so smooth, so silky smooth. Because <laughs> there is, I don't know what the term for it is, but there is something between like where you can sort of blur between this frame and the next i guess that's basically motion blur but hmm. uh, something better than motion blur because motion blur itself is usually kind of ugly frame vaseline <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> i know nothing about engines no yeah it like i i didn't i, I think i didn't have any like, like big standout i have to buy that like even dead cells and things i got were like because they just come out like hmm. that was a, like a 15% discount of a game I was probably going yeah. to get anyway rather than it being a big thing. There's nothing that's really struck me, but I guess that's because all of those heavily discounted Bethesda games are things I've already played through. Yeah, my pile of same shame is such that I not, don't really feel like adding to it just for the sake of, just on a whim, it has to be something I really, really yeah, want yeah. to try. Yeah, I've started um, with my backlog. I don't really feel like a great pressure to get through it. It's just kind of, it's just this infinite list now <laughs> i could go back as mm. far as i want i'd never if i was um if you cut me off from buying all new games and just let me uh force me to play only what i already owned it would last me till the end of my life i think <laughs> um but i've become incredibly intolerant or unwilling to indulge games if their first impression is good mm. like there was probably a time when steamworld dig i would have stuck with it and found out if there is any more depth to it or anything mm. more exciting but these days it's like no i gave it a chance it's if it failed to grip me in the first 15 minutes or something then um uh it's not that there's no way it'll be good um it's just that it doesn't make sense to invest that kind of time if you can invest that time mm. elsewhere and you will find something that's brilliant in the first 15 minutes which is amazing really it's just a sign that there are so many games and so many of them you know quite good that you can just ignore most of them <laughs> it's bad for people making games it's good for people yeah. who play games yeah yeah i i worry about um uh, a situation where people don't have time to try the game um but i don't worry about a situation where people only have 15 minutes to try the game because i feel like if i don't from the particular kinds of games i make um i feel like if i can't hook you in that time then it's my fault not yours it's difficult though isn't it because it's like um that changes based on genre some uh, games just don't uh reach their potential yeah for sure, like, so forex games or even hitman yeah like hitman for the first 15 minutes is always just like wandering around aimlessly yeah, we're talking about that recently, actually, because Hitman, um, the sort of first few levels of it is free now. I mean, it's a demo. <laughs> there is a demo of Hitman, but it's the training 
place. Yeah, which I don't think like the game. Yeah, I don't think you get Paris. Um, I think right. it's just the cardboard cutout place, <laughs> which is a very strange level. And yeah, me and uh, Jack DeKeat were talking about this. Um, that uh, I was saying this is all sounded very familiar to me because he was trying to explain to people like you know play this, but you should be warned it's not really like the full game and the full mm. game is way better and more interesting and i remember saying that exact same thing about the blood money demo mm. like it, mm. it was really hard to convince people blood money was good because loads of people had played the demo and the demo was just shit <laughs> and it just was nothing like the game yeah you just it go to the linear... castle don't you and you just go down the corridor and the outside of the castle and kill a guy um it's like a fairground thing. oh right, um, right yeah and it just told you what to do at every stage you just do this now do this now do this now do this um and so you that's a decent tutorial to learn how the controls work and stuff but a terrible uh taster of the game um and they have done it again <laughs> to a lesser extent i think that there is more you're encouraged to be more uh creative in the the first uh opening bit of hitman that's probably the um the game in my pile of shame that i most need to go back to hmm. uh, because How i played did you play? played um paris i was a bit underwhelmed but then um was it what's the level in italy sapienza sapienza is incredible and I, i've still just i just boot it up to walk around it and not <laughs> even do anything it's just an incredible environment anyway it's beautifully designed i think in terms of the space and it's got like um a warren of uh underground passages and then a little bit of a town and then the beautiful beach and uh, this awesome kind of uh versatility to it it's, it's just a really really cool game environment that I, I love being in um but it kind of feels like when you go into a hitman level that's like 20 hours of your life just slowly <laughs> uh mapping that place in, in your mind and it's a bit daunting it's like uh, there are another like three or four areas i think the three or four missions i need to look at and it feels like a big time investment to mm. go into all those I, my pattern for that ended up being like um when i first play a mission obviously i'll just explore and mess around and stuff um but my sort of the thing i'm working towards is just completing it in any way just you know no matter what improvising um mm-hmm going with the flow not worrying not reloading obsessively and just uh, trying to kill all the targets and survive um and then after that once i've done that my next objective is to get the silent assassin thing because there's usually they've thought about that you know there's going to be a route that that um that will work for that and so if you can't find that then it's because you don't understand something important about the level so you need to get to that point and then after i've done that start going through the challenges and that's when that's the 20 hours <laughs> thing there's so just loads and loads of stuff to do there I think you can, um, did you like buy it all? Cause you could buy it up front, can you? Yeah, I think I've got, I, just, I did that. Yeah. I've got the pass. Yeah. So I do have all the levels. I think Hokkaido is the, the next best one after Sapienza. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the last and one, like Sapienza, it's just a beautiful place to be. You can just, it's just fun to walk around mm-hmm. just cause it's so awesome. Yeah. I think I drifted away from it after Marrakesh. Mm. Yeah. Because the, the plot is so unimportant that you can easily just sequence break it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the problem is that because you kill those same targets over and over again, you kind of forget why you were there in the first place. You like watch the cutscene maybe the first time you play it, but then you skip it after that because you want to go try and do it in a different way. Mm. And eventually, somehow, that means you forget that you ever saw the cutscene. If you're me, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, I really have no idea what's going on. Sapienza is just a man who plays golf now. To me, <laughs> the, the golf man. I need to kill the golf man. Get the golf man. I need to kill him, uh, and that's it. I don't understand who he is or what. Oh, really. <laughs> The game keeps trying to tell me that there's no way I'm going to absorb that information. Hmm. There's some crazy shit with him, like being haunted by the ghost of his mother yeah, and stuff. I, <laughs> last, um, I was I was in there last week, and there's something slightly like psycho-like about uh, about you can it feels like you might be able to summon him to the room and you sort can, of yeah. freak him out and stuff, yeah, which can, is awesome. You uh, can enact the haunting, basically. Um, my uh, last time I killed him, it was with an exploding golf ball. <laughs> I put down and then walked away from, him. and then half an hour later, it was like, why the hell is everyone hunting me now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that game is awesome. Is that in the Steam sale? 
Probably. Don't. No. <laughs> Maybe. Those, did we mention that they got control of the Hitman? No, we didn't. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's they, um, yeah. So IO, it was sort of uh, whispered that IO were in trouble and that uh, Square Enix were looking to sell them um, to someone. And rather than being bought by someone else, they just went independent and um, managed to secure a deal where they actually keep control of the, the whole Hitman license yeah, so they can do what they like with it. So that's that's really unusual. You don't really. I don't know how that happened, but it's a <laughs> yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Like, I wonder if it's um, to do with Square Enix having sort of other uh, things to focus on, like mm. um, you know, because only I don't know when, but um, only feels like only the last five years ish that they've sort of been getting into Western games this mm. much. Sounds like they're doubling down on Final Fantasy in a big way, and like they brought the Final Fantasy VII thing in house. Um, and it sounds like well, they've got this. Um, I believe they've got this. Is it the Marvel Avengers game that they're going to be working that's, on? I thought that's that someone else. I thought that was Idos. Oh, well, maybe it's someone else. Oh, I'm getting mixed up. Anyway, isn't yes. it because it wasn't it the Tomb Raider? No, hang on. Wasn't Eidos, it the DSX I, team? Idos doing... Montreal, actually. Yeah. No, you're right. It is Idos oh, Montreal. They're part of Square Enix, aren't they? Are they? They're yes, they are. Them. I thought they were part of. No, they're not. I'm thinking of Namco. Mm. I get them mixed up all the time. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so yeah. Uh, they've got big franchises to double down on with Final Fantasy and that Marvel game is a potentially huge thing for them, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's, I don't know, it's kind of, I don't know to what extent, um, like as an indie studio, will it affect the scope of Hitman? There's loads of questions like, would it be, is it sensible to stay episodic? Did it work? There's loads of questions around mm. the, the gamble mm. they took with Hitman. Um, they made a really cool game, but uh, it's almost interesting from a business sense as well. Hmm. Mm. Totally. Tom, speaking of uh, Pile of Shame, you've been back in Diablo 3. I have. <laughs> I mean, I, I often wonder how many games I could have played instead of Diablo 3 and how, how much richer as a person I would be if I had <laughs> gone down that road. Uh, but no, that's what I've put like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into Diablo 3. And now they've released the fucking Necromancer from Diablo 2 in Diablo 3. <laughs> and it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> so I'm going to put like another hundred hours into this thing. Uh, and uh, I think... I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm about level 15 or 16. And there's, it's reminding me how good Blizzard are at ability design and drip-feeding those abilities to you in Diablo 3 specifically mm. and mm. widening your tool set and giving you new ideas and you, for what to do with your character. Your character feels like a sandbox. When you get to the highest level, it isn't. There are only a few kind of viable routes. Huh. But um, when you're kind of... In the, the way I play Diablo 3, I don't care about mining the highly, highest difficulty levels mm. and surviving them. So it feels more improvisational. I feel like, oh, I can use this skill with that skill and combine it into my own build. Yeah, uh, And uh, it does that in a way that Diablo hasn't... No, Diablo 2 didn't, didn't do that because it locked mm. you into skill decisions and that kind of thing. And yeah. uh, I, I feel like uh, uh, I've been enormously rewarded by the quite bold decisions design decisions they took at the very beginning with the way the skill system was going to work in diablo 3 mm, yeah. which caused a huge amount of um backlash frankly from people who you know, absolutely loved those previous games and so, I, I respect blizzard for sticking to their guns on that it's so nuts how different it is because I, I just played it a little bit today um and I haven't played diablo 3 itself for quite a long time i did play it a little bit on console um earlier this year but um not much and it's uh so the necromancer's starting skill is something called bone spikes which um you click on the ground somewhere and uh an area all around that bone spikes erupt and kill everything so that first like little um 
passed uh, down to the yeah that's, yeah that's the test of your first ability and you find out what your character class is going to be like and, and everyone can kill everything in one hit at that point like mm. no matter what class you are you always have something that you, a single punch of the zombie will kill it um but even in that context the necromancer feels overpowered <laughs> because it's like i can click anywhere on screen and kills everything in one hit and also kills everything in that area and it generates my resource it, like not only does it not cost anything yeah. it actually gives me resource to do that and it's there's no cooldown it's just infinitely fast <laughs> and obviously like that early on you know you're not really getting a true sense of what the damage uh, output is but for quite a long time it kills everything in one hit <laughs> it can just instantaneous limitless range on screen um area effect slash damage generates <laughs> that stuff um and i remember in diablo uh Diablo one if you wanted to go mage it was just um a nightmare to get enough mana to do anything mm. and uh, even in Diablo two um if you played as a sorceress you had a skill that would re- regenerate mana but you had to pump so many points into it just to get this really slow passive mana regeneration rate if you didn't mm. want to be drinking potions all the time that was the only way to get the resource you needed whereas warriors uh, they just didn't um uh they can just go around doing whatever they like particularly in Diablo one there was no i don't think uh, you really needed your mana for very much um and so it's just an outright disadvantage to be a spellcaster most of the time. Um, and now I'm really glad they switched to a system where like, okay, everyone has a resource, everyone has ways to spend it and everyone has ways to generate it. Um, and they just got really generous with that stuff. Yes, they have. And the ways you can spend that resource are even more egregious. Than <laughs> that ridiculous bone spike thing that is just a normal attack. Um, so corpse explosion is back. And it's, Baby. it's the best thing <laughs> in Diablo 3. I'm convinced already that it's the best thing in Diablo 3. It's absolutely fantastic. It feels there incredible is to do. a whole page of your skill tree called Corpses. <laughs> yeah. It's just, this yeah. is the corpse section. So uh, the interesting about the Necromancer and the way it differs from other classes is that corpses are a resource for you. So you're not only managing your essence, as it's called, which is basically mana for the necromancer. You're also managing the corpses on screen at any given point. Yeah, because they're a special thing now, aren't they? Like in Diablo 2, it was just when an enemy died, the dead version of that enemy was the thing that you clicked corpse explosion on. Yeah. Um, but now every enemy creates a sort of extra thing, which is just this bloody carcass. Even like a skeleton with no flesh on it, when you kill it, a bloody carcass comes out. <laughs> and that's the corpse. And that they because... At first I thought that was kind of weird, but then I pretty quickly came to appreciate it because, Visibility like thing. you say, they are a resource, so you need to be able to see at a glance yeah. how many of these do I have, where are they? Mm. Uh, and is uh, as the class levels up, I'm only, like, as I said, level 15 or something, but it's already kind of added layers and layers and layers to that corpse management thing. Um, so you can eat them for essence <laughs> if you want, and you can inst- uh, equip runes that change that eating to be like a, a passive ongoing thing. Like you just like money, you suck them into you. And in fact, th- uh, the skill is affected by your gold radius pickup stat. <laughs> uh, so if you max that out, you can just suck in corpses from all over the screen to keep them feeding your essence and keep, keep you getting this power back. Oh my god! Uh, so obviously, corpse explosion, which we'll get onto, uh, is just incredible and feels incredibly overpowered, which is good. It's what Diablo you should feel overpowered in Diablo. Everything in Diablo that's the whole yeah. point of it is that you feel like you're wrecking everything and nothing can stop you until you get to the very highest levels and then if you want to kind of maths it up then you can <laughs> play that game um, it's a different game uh, but you can also uh, there's like a skill called revive that apparently brings uh, corpses back from the dead temporarily Oh. In, a, in a radius i've not unlocked that one yet but i was do, looking at that on the skill tree do you get the creature that it originally was uh good question uh the way it's worded suggests it, it yes awesome which would, would be amazing there is i don't i imagine this is not true in diablo 3 from the resource element of the corpses but in diablo 2 
how much damage a corpse explosion did was dependent on the level of the thing or how many hit points I think the thing had in life. So mm. if it had, you know, a thousand hit points in life, it would do a huge explosion or a really powerful explosion. When Super it, exploding death. Like yeah. whales. <laughs> <laughs> he died as he lived, exploding really violently. Uh, the way that it's done in Diablo 3 is because I think there's just a huge, a much greater number of enemies on the screen and the corpse potential in Diablo 3 is much greater than uh, in Diablo 2. So it's the simply numerical, it's the number of torsos or like <laughs> bloody chunks that are around a thing deal that amount of damage. Yeah. Um, so loads of skills are about corpse generation. Uh, so you can, <laughs> true, generally. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But in an unusual way. So for example, you can summon a flesh golem and it's this big hulking, like 12 foot tall fleshy thing. Uh, and it fights alongside you until you press its like command button. And what it does is it charges forward and it sort of belly flops into the floor and turns into about five or six corpses and just explodes into a load of chunks. So it creates this combo where you send your minion in to just smash itself up and then you blow up its remains to kill a hero. And it escalates from there because there is a, I think there's a ability, I think it's called Bone Lance or something. And it's a variation on corpse explosion uh, where instead of blowing up all the corpses in a radius wherever you point, uh, you click on an enemy with it and uh, just spikes come out of ambient corpses on the battlefield <laughs> oh, wow. and home in on it, impaling it and destroying it utterly. <laughs> and it is, that is almost as, as satisfying as, as corpse explosion, which is already one of the most satisfying skills in the game. Awesome. Is there, are there any abilities you've found for the Necromancer so far whose names could not also be rad ass metal band? <laughs> uh, not yet. And as it should be, uh, I think there's, there's one further down the track called Blood Nova. <laughs> uh, which I'm I suppose towards. Revive was like, yeah, that's true. Actually, quite right. Yeah. Just, they could have, come on, Blizzard, you've got to up your game with that. Yeah. Uh, no corpse explosion. Soul breakfast. I know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic so far. Uh, the Necromancer is like, it's completely fully voiced, including just, uh, ambient bants with, uh, <laughs> um, with Leah and, and Deckard Kane. And one of my favorite things is, um, pressing the Z button lets you zoom in. So every time I go back to town, I just get more and more minions. And so I just like go up to Deckard Kane with my enormous army and he's completely <laughs> unfazed by it. And he's telling me about, oh, need to chase the shooting star. <laughs> enormous flesh golem looming over him. It's like, I liked when, um, Captain whatever at the very start, uh, you know, you, you help him. He's being ambushed when you find him and you, you uh, kill all the enemies. And on this occasion, it was by raising spikes of bone from the ground to just shred everything. And like in just one second, just everything was dead immediately from spikes of bone. And the thing he always says to everybody is, well, I've never seen anyone fight like that before. <laughs> it's like, no shit. <laughs> this yeah. time, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's really, really good. I, th I, I love this idea of um, this way of expanding Diablo 3 because I don't really need new scenery or new places from that game. Especially mm. with adventure mode, where you can just flit around and just go to one place yeah. to another. Can you do that with like a new character? Yeah, I think so. Because um, that's what kind of what I want to do. Is I've played this start so many times now, and I I haven't really got to end game Diablo three. I've completed it, but I've just um, you did the expansion. Uh, not all the way through, mm. um, and so I keep playing the beginnings of everything. So mm. I just play the beginnings over and over again. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm certain that you can just uh, go to the the game menu and select adventure mode instead, and you can up the difficulty and everything. I think, huh. um, certain, which is you probably you easily can with the necromancer. I had so much shit on screen. I haven't played in ages, and I don't remember what I was doing last time I did play. Um, and I've got some thing about nephilim points that I've got to spend, or oh, yeah. mm. um, and it was a button on screen. I didn't know what to do with it, so I didn't click it because. Uh, 
for a while and then i think i clicked it on accident in the middle of combat or something and now i've sp- i think i've spent my nephilim points but i don't know what i spent them on um and also i was gonna i was returning to town and i was um kind of like blowing through it pretty quickly but i thought i'll just stop off at the merchant and see if he's got anything um and there was a dagger there that was a bit better than mine it cost like four thousand i thought oh no i don't think i have four thousand by then I looked at my gold i have seven hundred and sixty thousand because <laughs> i guess gold is shared now yeah so um there's with the nephilim points i can't remember what they're actually called but they're an account wide thing that all of your characters will have and they've retrofitted it so all those characters you played with uh, a year or two ago will have earned them and right them. so those um every character gets that allocation um, and it's going up all the time and it lets you um uh, put points into stuff like uh life steal on hit and lots of kind of background passive benefits uh that let you create a certain build like attack speed and stuff like that and gold pickup radius which is great <laughs> if you want to hose up those corpses you're uh, wandering through the dungeons uh so that's what it's all that stuff is yeah so much nicer how it shows um weapon stats now mm-hmm. like you mouse over something and it just breaks down what will happen if you equip this relative to what it will replace? Mm. Uh, and it breaks it down into, you know, your overall damage, um, your toughness, um, and your recovery rate. So it's not even like, here's the difference to your hit points, or here's the difference to your armor class, or here's the difference to your chance to hit or whatever. Mm. Um, it just summarizes it into really broad categories. And, you know, recovery could be passive healing over time, or it could be lifesteal or whatever. It just, it has some kind of equation to summarize all that stuff, which is exactly the kind of thing I think a lot of developers would say oh no you know we can't we can't possibly tell you what the the bottom line is because it all depends on the tactics and also situational if you're going to do a lot of damage then obviously lifesteal is going to get you more than if you kite a lot then you um passive thing but like i'm the kind of player just like please just summarize it i can't give me i don't have you know those equations better than i do (laughs) just give me a rough idea if you really um w3 is really good at splitting up this information actually because if you go into your character sheet you see all of that all Mm. of those like really uh minute minute details are there um also if you're hovering your mouse over skills um it gives you just the the general idea of what it does um if you hold down control it gives you the actual percentage damage increase ah. as you're mousing over with the tooltips because i noticed i wasn't getting that and so i immediately went to the options because i think i remembered an option about that and sure enough yeah you can you can check it permanently as well just yeah. have it like always tell me the numbers <laughs> always tell me the odds and then it's like oh well you can summon a wave of undead that deals 12,000 percent of your <laughs> damage is physical oh wow that's awesome i'll take that i was um uh i'm using elective mode and if you are where you, know, yes, you can move things but uh out of the categories that they think you should have them in mm-hmm. or out of the slots they think you should have them in um and i unlocked like a skeleton mage thing not not really a pet type thing more of a temporary summon yeah. um death mage and uh it replaced uh bone spear i think but i'd come to really rely on bone spear so i wanted to kind of move that out and i thought um uh i tried to play some corpse explosion but obviously i wanted corpse explosion and then i um eventually end up with just corpse explosion and bone spear again and and uh then i thought like i'll just see uh i'm trying to like play games more thoughtfully and like uh make more informed decisions about what i'm doing rather than just sort of playing all by instinct and so i thought well let's just see what like the mana cost is um like both bone spear and corpse explosion do loads and loads of damage and are good for taking out something um pretty quickly uh but i just want to see what the essence cost is of bone spear compared to corpse explosion i assume it's about the same and then uh, corpse explosion wouldn't tell me how much essence it costs i'm like well that's weird why doesn't it cost oh my god it doesn't cost anything it has no cooldown it costs no essence it's literally just if there are corpses you can explode them (laughs) 
that that is how that works <laughs> and it does like crazy damage and again it's area of effect and again you can do it at range and there's no cooldown on it <laughs> there's no cooldown on it so you, you blow it up and then it turns the things nearby into corpses then you blow them up and you just keep on going until the entire screen is dead it's fucking amazing it's the it, i love it i can't stop doing it we will be doing this for hundreds of hours corpse exploding everything and i love, I love the idea of kind of uh, i can't wait to unlock the revivability because i want to kind of kill things with corpse explosion bring them back then kill them again then, <laughs> then blow them the fuck up and see if that's even a thing i can do in that game uh yeah i've already used it as a kind of spike move after i defeat a boss and yeah, yeah. their corpse even when there's nothing around just, uh, <laughs> and your corpse too <laughs> the second uh sort of basic attack you unlock i can't remember what it's called but you suck all the blood out of stuff <laughs> so the necromancer just kind of waves you like kind of beckons with both his hands <laughs> and all the blood come like in a stream comes out of the enemy the sanguine hoover <laughs> into your chest and heals you by the way okay uh and so I, I defeated the first boss, big boss of the game, the Skeleton King, who is a skeleton, <laughs> hmm. by sucking out its blood for about 90 seconds until it fell over. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's like, why is this working? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. thought I was safe against this, at least. Which is uh, so much fun. I've never seen anyone felt like that. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Thackeray just follows you up again. Like, like, wow. Rumsford, isn't it? He's following you around and saying, wow, I've never seen that. Wow, this is very extraordinary. <laughs> I didn't think that thing had a corpse. Can you um, summon undead when you, by the time you actually save the town from the undead at the beginning? Uh, yes. Okay. So you can um, run around with skeletons really quite early. And uh, the way the, the skeleton summon's done is really, really good, actually. Um, it, you don't have to fucking click on stuff all the time to get the skeletons. They just passively come out of the ground oh, nice. until there are seven of them. And they all have like these great swords. And uh, the actual ability itself isn't a summoning ability directly. It's a command ability. So hmm. they will fight ambiently as you're going around. And they're very fast and they're very good at it. They do actually lots of damage, which is the problem that previous Diablo summons have had. They don't really do very much. Um, but if you press, uh, like, I've got it on number two, uh, they all glow bright green and they charge the thing that you click on <laughs> and fuck it up. They just like massacre it with their blades. It's really satisfying. Awesome. Do they leave corpses when they die? Um, <laughs> no, they don't. But there are runes on other summons that cause them to drop corpses when they die. So the death mages who are temporary, you get them for about 30 seconds. They do lots of very high, uh, a high level of missile damage. You can uh, equip a rune on them that means they leave corpses when they die. So you summon five of them um, in the places you want to and then they'll do those <laughs> uh, ranged uh, damage. Then they'll leave corpses then you blow up the corpses and that's you know kill the hero mob in one shot do so you know there are those bits where like npcs die in town and stuff like keel over <laughs> yeah they don't leave corpses Aww. sadly yeah i, I tried that and she said something like this corpse is not yet at rest <laughs> isn't it like the blacksmith's wife early on dies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, she turns into a zombie she and does. vomits on him <laughs> So yeah, she she when she dies, and then you kill her. Corpse. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I just yeah. wonder if then you can blow her up. Yeah, okay, fine. That's, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's all you want to. Because then you recruit him, right? He becomes your blacksmith. Yeah, he's that like, guy, I saw what he did to my wife, and that was kind of cool. That guy so. recovers <laughs> from that trauma fast, yeah. like suspiciously fast. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah Diablo three, still a single tear tear on his cheek. He realizes how rad that was. Like the next thing he says, he says, "Oh, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you." And by the way, if you see my fool apprentice out there, tell him to get his ass back here. Wow, you got over that really quickly. You're just like you're still covered in the vomit of your zombie wife, <laughs> who I blew up. Yeah. <laughs> you should be able to blow up zombies because they're already corpses. Just click on that. Yeah, that mission right. That mission right at the start of the game where you have to kill the the vomit hangs. I can't remember what they're called, but yeah. that you should just be able or to the skeleton king. Them. Even it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're a corpse. Bang. <laughs> 
Yeah, sending your own skeleton army to fight all the skeleton armies in the first act is really, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping the necromancer bellows. Why are the skeletons but, fighting each other? What's, yeah. their, what's their beef, you know? Or that bit where you wade into that town that's on fire near the start and there mm. are the villagers trapped in the basement and they must shit themselves. With, like, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. the, the rescue skeletons are here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, Rumsford, got, you're supposed to keep these guys out. Your skeletons have got like badges or something like yeah. that. Like, got hats on. Like a sash. Where are the rescue yeah. skeletons? <laughs> um, yeah, it's fantastic. And also, um, I, I, like, I really urge people to go back to Diablo 3 if you've not played for a few years or you've bounced off it. Because the game is so, so generous with items now. The first time you defeat bosses, they drop legendaries straight up. So you're getting like some of the best items in the game really early on. Um, they've got like a transmogrify service where you can just change armor to look however you want it to look. And, you know, uh, the crafting stuff is much more generous. The whole loot side of the game is much more satisfying than it ever has mm. been, really. It's, a, it's just a, a brilliant, brilliant action RPG. And, you know, it, one of the best ever for me, which is it's still controversial to say, really. You still get shit on that from the, on the internet from <laughs> commenters for saying that, but it's great. Yeah, yeah it is. Great I'm game. Up. I got it downloaded Necron. today. I'm yeah. excited. Play the Necromancer. He's so good. Yeah. We should all we should all get into a game as Necromancers <laughs> together and just go like max skeletons and max corpse, <laughs> exactly. corpse explosion and see how high we can get the difference. It's like a band. Like, we are corpse <laughs> explosion. <laughs> We've got one trick. How many players can you have in a game? Four? Four? Six? <laughs> there it is. The authoritative More answer from Craig Two Rubber. less than eight. I feel, yeah, I feel pretty like sure it's, it's at least four. I think it's four. Six would be mental. Six mm. would be Yeah, because that's the, I imagine that's the cap on how many skeletons they can give you as a necromancer. Like if it was purely single player, they could probably give you like 30. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the cap on skellies is seven. But if you've got enough essence, uh, you can summon as many death mages as you like, and you've got a flesh golem on the go at the same time. Um, hmm, yeah. Flesh golem on the side. Hmm. <laughs> 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 Good. <laughs> Provocative thoughts. Flesh golem is a silly phrase. It, it always occurs to me when I hear that. It's a, is it's it just not silly, just a, it's a silly Is it not just a big man? He's all bulbous. Given that a golem is like a clay man. Hmm. It's like right. a man, but made of meat. <laughs> exactly. Meat man. See, they were made of that. What, what have you been playing, playing Chris? <laughs> oh, shit. That was a synchronized. Yeah. Double Tom. Stereo Tom says. Um, I have been playing a lot of, um, Plunk Bag. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Um, which obviously a lot of people have been playing because it sold four million copies in three months, which is crazy. Um, and kind of deservedly so. I think I spoke about it my last book on the pod. I had only played a little bit solo and I was still getting to find my feet in it. Um, and I think I described it at the time as like, it is the practical version. I mean, obviously it's, it's a lot like H1Z1 King of the Kill. And I realized I've done some research for an article, but, um, it is the sort of practical daisy. It's the daisy experience of searching houses and wandering the hillside, but condensed into a half hour to an hour or maybe sometimes two minute experience. Um, and it's, great the so i've played a lot of it i played a bunch with the team and i think probably my favorite way to play it in terms of the most pleasant way to play it i think is a duo and the reason for that is it's just a nice thing to do with one other player you're kind of guaranteed that all the other teams you meet will be duos Mm. because that's there are three cues the solo duo and group Mm. and group sizes vary so you could be you know a team of three up against a team of five and actually weirdly that does kind of balance out because the nature of the game is so much about getting the drop on other teams and it's so much about scouting and listening and smart map movement 
and picking your time to fight that being a smaller team isn't the disadvantage it would be in a different type of game necessarily because if one of you can get the drop on three people those three people are probably all dead mm. and and if you're a smaller team you're probably gonna make less noise you're gonna less chance of getting discovered but duos are great because there's you know you can bail each other out when you're playing in a group you get like a revive mechanic so you're initially downed and you can be killed from that state but you can be revived which gives it makes it a little more forgiving um but also when there's only one of you left uh, if one of the pair dies then the game is almost certainly going to be over very soon um and that's helpful because one of the downsides to the way it works is once you're dead that's it you you can spectate your friends but obviously you're extremely limited in what you can do you can't even like rotate their cameras or anything because you can't do anything that would give them an advantage so you, you know if you the downside i found to group play has been if you you know, if someone fucks up the parachute jump and drop drifts off course or gets lost or, or just happens to get unlucky to get shot from nowhere and no one can get to them, then that, that person can have quite, you know, sometimes it can be really fun to watch, but sometimes it can be like, well, I'm playing a game, but technically I'm just going to sit here and watch for 20 yeah. minutes while the game ends. Um, which is, you know, I don't know how you get around that, but it's, it's a you should thing. have a, like a suicide pact where if one of you dies, the other one just kind of runs into the. Yeah, which is easier to arrange with a duo, right? If you're playing yeah. with four people and one <laughs> of you dies, then naturally the other three are going to want to keep playing. Like, it's not like, oh, we all go now. The other three should fight each other to the death. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Like friends would. Um, so yeah, so that, that's all kind of, and that's, so I had some, I've had some brilliant, like just great experiences and you kind of lift off the anecdotes and stuff, but it's such a, it's such a reliable generator of tense moments, interesting moments and team strategy and, and, and a lot of the kind of social dynamics. It reminds me a lot of the early days of Dota when that felt, I'm playing it with a lot of the same people, which helps, but like when that felt sort of experimental and kind of like a big space to run around in and, and kind of discover the limits of, hmm. And people have their own approaches. And the thing I love about team multiplayer games is how is whenever they potentially show the personalities of your friends, rather than you all just being game characters acting towards a common goal, like the way people approach it, their attitudes, the way they communicate, the way they team play says, tell something about them. And, you know, that's definitely true for Battlegrounds. Like I have my cautious friends and my reckless friends. I have my friends who get lost and I have my friends who wander off and I have my friends who um are very calm under pressure and the friends who aren't like that you know there's like i'm not like i tend to well, i you know i have the a bad habit of you know choking under that on that final crucial shot that might win you the game kind of thing mm. and you learn that about people and you kind of you know work around it people have their own gun preferences so you have the nice little it's just little interactions that make games nice like you find someone else's favorite gun in a building and you let them have it and or mm. you deliver it to them and, and that kind of thing so that's all been really lovely um however because i've been i've been it's been i've been playing it as my um just like break game really while i've been working on things or like doing other things to the extent that i also started watching streams um because actually um so i took a week off or sort of like i I basically took a week where i didn't take any big commissions i was just doing some sort of smaller things and i spent a bunch of that other time just painting and doing hobbies and, and stuff like that and um it's a shout out to the miniatures monthly crowd it's a brilliant game to watch on a stream while you paint <laughs> or do anything like that because mm. it's sort of it's a lot of things not happening and then like a small burst of something happening yeah. and then back to someone while well, people just sort of talk and if you find a streamer that you like just you can just listen to talking then that's kind of fun and it's a pleasant sort of way to spend time but doing that because i was watching some of the better players taught me a lot about how the game is best played from a solo point of view 
And so I feel like I've gone through a barrier with on Battlegrounds now where I kind of get it as a game more than as an experience. And that has some upsides and some downsides. I think it's, the upside of it is I have reliably more fun in my games now in terms of like I get more done. I get more kills. I'm getting like I average about seven to eight kills per game, win or lose, which is fun. It means you're getting the drop on people. And my instincts have changed. Um, so when I started playing, it was a game that was fundamentally about like an initial rush where nothing matters, which was followed by a long period of terrified hiding and crawling and sneaking and scouting and trying to stay within the decreasing safe area of the map while also being having my back to the edge of it and trying not to get shot. And then inevitably a tense moment towards the end, depending on how far you get, followed by a dramatic anticlimax <laughs> when you get <laughs> shot in the head, mm. um, which is a lot better than it sounds. But, and I got, I think I came second twice um playing it like that and the first time i came second i even got the drop on the final guy and then and it was a brilliant ending because the final circle which is only like 20 meters across just happened to be at the top of a mountain so there's nowhere <laughs> to hide and somehow i was on that got the drop and it's pouring with rain and i see this guy in like a yellow parker run past and peer over the edge of the mountain with his back to me and i bring up the gun and my heart is just pounding like physically I was shaking afterwards because it's so tense because it's like I can win this, you know, one in a hundred, you know, I'll be the one person out of the hundred players who actually wins this one game. And I just, I fired bullets in a perfect outline of that person. <laughs> they went everywhere he wasn't, like perfectly around him. I, or I actually take, I saved it shadow play afterwards so I could watch it back and you just see my AK like <laughs> kick. Like, and he just turns around and just shoots me in the head. And it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. Love that idea that no matter what happens to you, you have to kill one person to yeah. win. Like, you can hide the whole time. You can, can. They can be killed by the boundary. So if, uh, they, okay, if, yes. if, if you, if somehow the final person was slightly outside the boundary when it shrank and you were the last person and, like, it would take some kind of mad coincidence. They still can't find you. Yeah. <laughs> Where is it, damn it? Yeah. If there's a mad coincidence where like the zone shrank around you so you didn't have to go anywhere mm. and everyone and everyone else died in the zone or killed each other in the zone or like there were three people left, one guy shot the guy who was in the zone from outside the zone and then died. Right. Like something like that, then yeah. you could win that final mm. shot. But yeah, it's unlikely. You, you, most of the time it will come down to a small patch of ground and this sort of like good, the bad and the ugly standoff <laughs> between yeah, really usually cool. three people at the end. In solo games it tends to be three, mm. right? Um I bet that guy in the yellow parker is telling the story to his friends like you won't believe it I was like the last <laughs> there's like one guy left he got the jump on me <laughs> and somehow he didn't kill me yeah um and so uh, and I have won one now and that was a fucking amazing feeling mm. like it it was um there's like it's it's not a big moment because the game just ends and it just says <laughs> winner winner chicken dinner which is the thing that's become that meme but mm. and you get loads of points that you can spend on the world's most disappointing loot crate where if you're lucky you'll get like a single moldy sock or a shit hat or like you know um like some naff trainers if you're you know it's a weird game to have loot in given that you what you want to look like grass <laughs> yeah <laughs> basically well like i mean i've had heartbreakers like uh, i found the ghillie suit and i've only ever found it once oh, wow, and it yeah. makes you look like fucking grass chewbacca mm. which is perfect <laughs> yeah yeah that's what you want. and i found the ghillie suit the awm which is the sniper rifle that you only get from the red crates that drop by the plane mm. 
and a, and a sniper rifle silencer, which is just like, that is the best loadout in the game. And I just ran up a fucking hill and there was a man sat next to the rock that I was looking and he was wearing all grey and I didn't see him. <laughs> There's another kind of camouflage. I was like, that rock's wearing a... Oh, shit. No, really. <laughs> like, um, and that was that. And I could see him crawling over to my body as I died. Di- di- <laughs> and he's like, oh, that is Christmas for him. And I hope you won. I hope you had a good time, rock man. Defeater of grass man. <laughs> um how does it work in Pokemon? Is there like rock type and grass? Uh, grass type? beats gr- rock. Grass beats. <laughs> hang on, no. Gr- ground beats bug. I don't. Ground, grass, and bug are different elements in Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> ground, grass, <laughs> rock, that. and bug are all different. Yes. Okay. Also, uh, there's dragon and fairy. Yeah. Who the fuck knows what they do? Yeah. Uh, uh, is there fairy counters dark, but <laughs> dark is different to ghost. Yes. I, I've never felt ghost. as old or decrepit as I did when I tried to get back into Pokemon uh, a year ago on my um, yeah. on my 3DS and realised I just don't I don't have the, a brain big enough to hold this giant. Yeah, there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of seven year olds in the world with the most complicated like, <laughs> yeah. elemental type weaknesses matrix in their brain. Yeah, which is not for me. No. Um, this game sounds awesome. I, I, I admire their commitment to finishing it. Yeah. Uh, and I admire, I admire their commitment to making it work and fixing servers and that sort of stuff. That's what really makes these Well, this is the thing. It's, it's genuinely exciting because like, they announced some new patch stuff this week. So it's going to get destructible buildings this week oh, and well. um, picking things up while you're moving, which is a really big deal. <laughs> um, and some sort of various changes to weapons and things. And it's getting, like, vaulting and mantling and climbing in the future as well. And you can kind of believe it. It doesn't feel like an early access game, even though it's an early access. It's, no, it doesn't. It has some rough edges, but it, it fundamentally works. And because it's been built from scratch, even though it's obviously it's heavily inspired by armor, weirdly, I think it feels more like armor than it would if it didn't have a uh, Eastern European setting. I think cause people see on the map, like, Georgia Pol and all these different town names, mm. sort of uh, sort of Ukrainian, Russian town names. Mm. Um, you think that and you think, oh, this must be an island pulls from armor. And it's, it's not, it's, it's just that that's the theme they've gone with for this first map. The next one will be Peru, I think. Mm. And uh, weirdly you sort of forget, oh shit, this isn't the armor engine. It has a lot of the same ideas, but it, it's a lot slicker. And there, like, yeah, there's a real kind of game feel thing that I've always had a problem with, with armor where uh, obviously it's, it's very hardcore and intensive and simulate like a simulation of uh weapons and modern combat in a way that most of the games i enjoy aren't but i feel like that's not an excuse for having just walking around feel like crap mm-hmm. um which is a problem like the stances system and the uh, all of that stuff which obviously seems to be essential to make the game work at its highest levels but for a new player coming into it i kind of expect games to feel better or feel different maybe it's an expectation problem yeah there are there are definitely things in um in battlegrounds that are in, like feel like armor in that way mm-hmm. like it's very pedantic or realistic about where your gun actually is and how you can move it right so if you lie down you can't aim further down than you are like you, you lose a lot of there's a lot of benefits to being prone generally but you lose a lot of your ability to maneuver your gun for obvious reasons like if you want to a proper control you should probably crouch but that makes you more exposed likewise if you're up against a wall you can't aim down your sights because you can't physically fit the gun yeah like because in a traditional fps your gun is super abstract it's like it's like attached to the inside of your eyes yeah. like in terms of where it is physically yeah uh, whereas this it's a physical metal thing that's sticking out in front of you so if you're too close to a wall it won't let you bring your gun down mm. it'll be up against you because that's where it has to be and so there's a lot of like when you particularly when you're this is what i mean by kind of learning the game like you get used to like what works and what doesn't because a lot of the time dying or winning in a fight comes down to 
do you make one of those mistakes? Like the amount of times you see someone pop up behind a wall, but realize that they're too close to the wall to actually like bring their gun to bear. So they just stand there for a second and mm. go like, oh shit, I need to move backwards slightly. And then they get shot in the head. And it's that kind of thing. Mm. There's a lot of, there's some sort of gamey things as well that feels like becomes the meta of, of the game. And I don't know if it's, it's really helpful to know, but it's like, you can tell when players do and don't know how to actually fight properly. Like, Firing from the hip is perfectly viable. Right. And you probably should. Like most of the time, particularly in close range combat, which means that you can afford to get like the best and longest scope you can get for your rifle. Because if you bump into someone in the woods at close range, you're probably going to hip fire them down faster. Mm-hmm. Because of the second that aiming down sights loses you relative and also the perspective change, because you go from third person to first person and you potentially lose your bearings. People can duck or throw themselves to the ground quickly. That Often the best thing to do if you're surprised is to just run at someone, you know, rapidly you know, fi- firing your assault rifle from the hip at their like pelvis because it'll kick up into their chest and you don't have to do very much damage to kill them. And it, you know, that's often how a fight is, is won. And as soon as I realized that, I started playing the game completely differently. Mm. Um, so my approach now is like, I previously I would look at the map and plan like, how do I, where is the plane going that drops everybody off? And how can I get somewhere that's far away from its flight path quickly so I can gear up in safety? And now most of the time I drop directly onto the school, which is like one of the most, uh, it's right in the middle of the island pretty much. And it's one of the most sort of mad deathmatch areas at the beginning of the game. Because mm. loads of good stuff spawns there, but it's also a really big, obvious building. So a lot of people drop onto it. And I can now like reliably win the school basically is the measure so it's right. like if you because you know probably in a given game of the hundred people five will drop there and so if you can kill those four four people or kill enough you know be the last person standing then you have like f- the pickings of the best area in the game and then the game begins hmm. and that's a very different way of approaching it it feels a lot more confident a lot more aggressive than the sort of trepidatious survival thing you start with and it's interesting going back to team play after that because you you're, you know, you then clash with other people's attitudes. Like my attitude is now like, I'm just going to dive head first into the most contentious area of the game. Mm. Because if I die, well, in a solo game, if I die, I'll start again. But in a team game, you've got to weigh that up against like, well, if we could win the fight in the school, but lose one person, at which point that person has a mm. shit time. Yeah. So there's like an interesting, it's, that sort of trade-off is, is super mm. interesting. Two things uh, I really like about it. Um, coming from... I never played Daisy, and I always kind of wanted to, but I wasn't willing to put up with a lot of bullshit in terms of getting it running and finding servers, and and also a lot of you know long, slow, boring walking um, to end in a mysterious death. Um, so I really like uh, the experience I've never had before is um, uh, particularly when playing in a team, um, just hearing other people. Uh, like you're in a house and you're just looting it like you know, a huge percentage of your time is spent in uh not in combat not in any uh, d- danger that you know about um and then in that situation when you hear someone coming uh there's this really tense moment where everyone just like freezes and you just wait like if you're looting a house and you hear a car pull up you're like oh god or if you hear, just even hearing a car approaching you're like oh god are they going to stop and then someone you know tries to get to a window and tries to see if they can see them and then if they do stop they're like shit are they getting out what are they doing um and that kind of tension just the just the mere presence of other players being this huge deal that is mm-hmm. worth like talking about and panicking about um that's a really yeah, exciting experience and conversely the other thing i like about it is that very early on if you do do that thing where you kind of stray from the plane's path as much as possible and get to a building no one else is going to you get to have uh 
a period of a game like that where you just don't have to worry about other people. You can just freely barge into buildings, not be cautious, and uh, you're going to have that cautious experience later but for now you can just actually take everything for granted and just um ransack buildings and it's quite nice to have that difference of pace like yeah, yeah. relaxing early phase and then tension that ramps up i find myself now like almost picking a play style when a game begins like if i'm in the mood for like one of the slower ones because there can be a downside to having a slow game if it if it ends in anticlimax or if you get really unlucky with the circle and you can't catch up with it or find a car and you just die alone in the wilderness having never seen anybody <laughs> i had a game uh yesterday where i had ended up um, at basically the polar far corner of the island from where the small circle would eventually be. And the game went quite well in that I got like about seven or eight kills by the end of it. But right at the start of the game, I had a car and I drove it to a little town that I thought was miles away from anywhere. And I was looting a building and I suddenly had footsteps. And I was like, oh shit. So I crouch and I'm look, looking out the windows and, and trying to figure out where he is. And then I just hear this engine rev and off goes my car, <laughs> like into the distance. And I never, for whatever reason, based on the angle I was running and then having to run like fuck to catch up with the circle every time, um, I could never find another car. And I kept, and I was so deep in the, it's, it's often like you hear people on Twitch and they frown on people like swimming in the blue, which is people kind of like fight entirely in the danger area. Because early on, the game doesn't do a lot of damage and people don't expect you to be there. So, you know, you can almost get on know, drop yeah. on people. Late in the game, doesn't work. but um, And I was basically spent the entire game just sprinting in a straight line because I, it was the only way. Like, I was hitting each new safe area right as it stopped being safe, <laughs> running and having to kill everyone in front of me so I could steal their health packs and energy drinks, use a health pack, drink an energy drink and just keep running because the energy drinks regenerate your health. And so you can basically just stay ahead of this this blue line. And it was one of these mad games that ended me dying outside the area, like inches from the final circle, like <laughs> made it to the top 11, like I've been the 11th or something like that. And it was just that kind of, but it was like that game had a complete character that was completely decided by that one encounter at the beginning and that playstyle I'd chosen to adopt, which was yeah. like, I'm going to start far away and take that risk. Um, but I do, I do really enjoy being aggressive. I think, I think that's the thing that's, that's really made it more fun for me is i don't run away when i hear gunshots now i tend to run towards them because mm. if you hear gunshots that usually means one player seen another player and that's the perfect situation to kill both of them or kill one of them right after he kills the other one and loot both do you feel like the uh the appeal of it has a limit can you see yourself exploring the the possible the possibilities of that map uh, do you think a new map will refresh that i think so i think i think it, it it's ripe for new stuff yeah i think as they add new weapons and a new map and new features and new modes like so that map feels very familiar to me now like i know where everything is there's no like i've been to the crashed plane and all the different sort of little ruins and there's lovely spaces and each game has its own character because you'll be funneled into a different area every time you play um but yeah i think the risk i'm at now is like i feel like i have both one one for myself i'd like to win more and it wasn't like the most spectacular victory but i've watched spectacular victories so i kind of get have a sense of this is how this game is best played and i think things that shake that up will be really interesting like it'd be really interesting to see them do like a first person only mode which yeah they'll really look person yeah yeah um i think that'd be really fun i'd like to i think it's 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 a sign of a good game i think when you can imagine just little sort of structural tweaks that would bring it give it a new life and kind of make you want to do things differently so much of its success is tied to its um entertainment value as a spectator's yeah. sport um and i i wonder to what extent that can continue for any game uh, and a lot of these games like h1z1 as well is um a much 
well, poorly made game, frankly, that still has a huge following. It's, well, it's like the third most played game on Steam last week <laughs> when I was checking. Uh, and that is nonetheless quite shonky, but has a lot of silliness to it that makes it like very uh, good as a spectator sport mm. with entertaining casters who can use that silliness and kind of play off it. And I, I wonder if these games, it's almost the Twitch generation of games that we're in. Uh, a lot of these games are just reliant on Twitch audiences and um, that, that following. And you almost, to what extent do you start tweaking the game to make it a spectator experience as much as it is a fun thing to play? I think, I think I actually wrote something about this today that will be going up on Eurogamer sometime soon, maybe even by the time this podcast goes up actually. But um, I think Plunk Bag is in a good place because it is 100% designed to be the game that it is and to grow from here. That's why it's good. Mm. Every other game in this genre is what it is by accident. H1Z1 was supposed to be an MMO. It was supposed to be a DayZ MMO. And they found this one multiplayer mode that really works for them. Mm. And they all have this such, such ad hoc design process. And this has been structured and the engine has been constructed to make this game that it is. And that's a good thing because that fundamental idea that design for this battle royale thing is fundamentally watchable it's based on a movie like you know what i mean it's a, it's yeah. a i think regardless of i think it's, it's a format that's in a good way quite hard to get bored of because it does reliably create situations it's that length as well is that half an hour to 45 minutes yeah maybe an hour at a stretch that like that predictable chunking of time is you know if, when i watch stuff i like to know that it's going to last a certain amount of time i think that makes it more watchable as yeah well. the the circles shrinking that happens on a fixed schedule right yes yes so how long is it till it gets to the final circle i think it's about half an hour right so you know so every game lasts that long basically, yeah, yeah. unless it's somehow everyone dies before yeah that. yeah um which is that's also that's a really good amount of time that's a short amount of time it's not like a a daisy thing or yeah. it could be hours and hours and hours it's not yeah. trivially short but it's not forever mm. either like it's yeah yeah and i think there's something really like one of uh, something that not every game can do is it's fun to watch battlegrounds played by people who are shit at it and played by people who are good at it mm. there's a lot of games you wouldn't watch unless you're <coughs> watching like the best person in the world at that game or else you might as well be playing it yourself. Mm. Whereas Battlegrounds, because it's a good showcase for personality, when it's played in a team, you kind of, those can do this as well, I would argue, but like you get that sense of like, this is a group of people having an adventure in a particular way, and maybe they're rubbish, and maybe they're great, and it's fun either way. But then it's also appealing to watch people who are extremely good at it, because you see like feats of marksmanship that are like, oh shit, that was amazing. Like, you know, or like, yeah. yet you appreciate someone's, how spatially aware someone is, or how able they are to pick up movement in the distance, and you know land a perfect hit like it's a rare game where i found myself like looking up particular things like i decided i just wanted to see someone get like a mantle kill with the crossbow because the crossbow is fucking rubbish it does <laughs> loads of damage but it takes four years to reload and uh, has huge projectile drop because that's what happens if you miss you you like just stand there like a lemon slowly reloading this crossbow um I got a kill with it extremely short range. Just to try and convince the guy that I shot him from really far away. <laughs> <laughs> My only use of it was um, uh, me and Alex were holed up in a house and we had some people pulling up and kind of had to jump on them. They didn't, I don't think they knew we were inside. And I could see them through the window and I had the crossbow. I, I thought it was a great weapon because uh, um, I hadn't used it before. I was just like uh, going by video game lore. <laughs> like traditionally, the crossbow is a super powerful weapon. Um, and I was looking at them through the window and um uh i had a shot on one of them so i just fired and uh there was just a really loud noise 
Alex jumped out of his skin because I hadn't warned him that I was going to shoot, so he thought they were shooting. <laughs> and uh, they heard exactly where I was, um, and uh, we lost the element of surprise. And then a little while afterwards, you know, the guy didn't die or anything, and a little while afterwards, as I stepped back from the window, I saw the bolt sticking out of the window frame. <laughs> okay, well, that was a disaster all around. It does loads of damage to crossbow. It's, it's the most powerful sniper weapon in the game but before the AWM. Like, mm. it's more powerful than the other sniper rifles if you hit somebody. But it's like a no land beyond thing where like if someone who's really fucking good yeah. will or you get the drop on someone who's hiding behind a tree looking at someone else <laughs> right. you fire it into their head at like 10 from 10 feet away and then you deliberately stay where you are because their camera is going to follow their corpse they're going to see killed by headshot from crossbow and then you walk up like a minute later as if it took you ages to get there <laughs> because you were so far away um, <laughs> that's awesome uh yeah it's so, great I, I love that fun the fundamentals of it pay off that having a fundamentally an engine that works and the you know uh, I'm sure it has sync problems and you know the things that it can be weird I found that weirdly um, I get much better performance on the NA servers than the EU servers oh, okay. so I started queuing in NA that's mm. when I finally won oh, that's a good tip uh, that's probably a terrible tip because probably going to flip people's servers it's worth, it's worth experimenting with the other regions just to see what performance yeah. you get hmm. um, I still think it's like it's interesting I think the landscapes are beautiful but the character models are pretty ugly hmm. There are, there are effects that like I know they needed a way of indicating that you've hit someone from far away and they probably didn't want to do reticle bloom but the the fucking like jam explosion that happens when you hit people at like 300 meters away and their entire body <laughs> like it's, it's like, like, it's like no yeah it's like you've just exploded, exploded like his a, me, like a like a a medicine ball sized water balloon full of jam next to them it's it's enormous and it's like <laughs> It's like, could you have done this more elegantly? Because there are moments where it just looks like it's a, it's very satisfying because you know you land a very distant shot and you see the huge bloom come out of them. But there's like, it feels like maybe there are more elegant ways in a, in an otherwise quite grounded game to establish you shot the person with the gun. Hmm. Um, Slow motion replay cam. Yeah, well, and that'll be the thing when it gets its replays. That's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Like, I'd love to see more data. I'd love to have heat maps. I think there's loads of room for them to do things like awards, like traveled the furthest. Yeah, yeah. Or like, um, you know, you know, most accurate. Th- those kinds of things. Like, it's 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 ripe for stats. Hmm. Like, show me like what my route was, like where I came down, where I ended up going, what other players were, because that'd be amazing to see, yeah, right? Like sure. yeah. how close you missed people by, or hmm. like you know when people looted the buildings that you found looted that kind of thing you mm. find out oh shit they left like 10 seconds before i got there and i just they were still in the cupboard, cupboard yeah. and we never found them yeah exactly all that stuff i think would be great given uh, it success as a as a spectator thing as well like the, an actual replay of the final moments of any given match would surely be an awesome thing to mm. yeah i feel like they need to do more with that moment because it does just end as if you had been killed yeah. you get the u1 <laughs> version of being killed mm. um like because it does feel like a kind of sort of this weird sudden like the game ends and you know, and you have to you know it takes you a moment to process what's just happened you deserve more you deserve more for surviving yeah for half an hour just a it's long cut scene of you eating the chicken dinner yeah indeed yeah anyway that's that's plank bag it's very good as four million people will attest <laughs> you should get um custom win animations rather than loot that's what they should do so if you win yeah. or you go out, you like you get a character animation that plays. Uh, <laughs> Be very aspirational loot because <laughs> yeah, obviously if I ever do win, this thing. So maybe you work it to other places, but it feels like yeah, hats and things. Uh, maybe that's one area where the game could find more interesting. Yeah, rules. like hats for a solo win, mm. hats for wins with a certain amount of kills, that kind of thing. Mm. Like that'd be. Yes, I, I wonder if people like in a solo game. You know, usually when you die, you quit and go and watch another game. I wonder 
where the like cutoff is for that because presumably the second to last person sticks around <laughs> by definition uh does the th- person who died third do they watch to see what happens between the last two well because you can't spectate anything other than your own body so oh, right so you, you literally can't, can't see anything so. oh that'd be a good thing to change so when you win only yeah. one person sees it yeah and it's, it's you pretty much or like the person you shoot yeah like yeah, it, it is. It, there's a sort of sense of when you leave a game that like that's just like a timeline you will never see resolve. Like mm. someone's going to win that, mm. but it just happens in a yeah, different country. Yeah, there should be like, more ways to capture and watch that for sure. Um, uh, but if they sold uh, an emote, a winning emote, where I uh, my character fell to his knees and <laughs> put his hands up and screamed at the sky and jet planes flew over, <laughs> then I would probably pay three pounds for that. <laughs> what they should do is give you like an average what would be in a in a Swiss tournament called the strength of schedule over the course of your career. Mm. So it would be but only for maybe for the people who beat you. So it would be like it would be the average finishing position of people who've killed you. Mm. So that if you die but you die to the people who win, you get more points than oh, yeah. if you die to the people who like someone who then just immediately dies after they kill you. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's almost about like where you're on the food chain <laughs> as an average over time rather than like so if you die but then that person goes on and wins the game. Then you get some points after the fact. Like you were killed by the winner, mm. not um, so maybe. And maybe you can then spectate them and root for them or something. <laughs> the, the other side of it that I think we good is like because you get this currency for playing that you currently only spend on loot chest, and they are the world's most rubbish loot chest. Um, it's like wow, I got a grey string vest. I got my <laughs> whitish string vest. Oh yeah, you should totally be able to bet on yeah people. betting on Definitely, them. Like yeah. I know maybe maybe there are things <laughs> on that, but like if after you die, you could stay in the game. In a, in a chat lobby with the other people who've died. Put a grand down on that. And put, guy. put things on, like, I'm putting money on the guy who killed me. Like, that'd be, like, oh, that's yeah, quite awesome. cool. Or wager items or anything, really. Yeah, yeah. like, I'll, yeah, my, my, you can have my, my, my grey string vest against yeah. your white string vest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the guy in the red string vest is going to win. <laughs> that, that I think would be great. I think that'd be really fun. Hmm. But yes, it's a, it's a good game. I now want to play it. So good job, podcast. Shall we do questions? <laughs> what is this? You sound different, Tom. <laughs> I've been working on my accents. What an amazing Pip impression. <laughs> Which Tom am I? Both of them. I don't know where the two of them went. Okay, fine. <laughs> Voltron together into a... We did both yell at Chris earlier in you perfect unison, yeah. him, demanding <laughs> that he tell us what, what you've been, been playing. Like <laughs> Children of Corn. The two little girls from The Shining. Oh, but both called Tom. <laughs> That's a hideous hit mental image. Yeah, indeed. I was just riding my little tricycle around the pod. <laughs> at the corner. <laughs> Two toms in little dresses. What have you been playing, Chris? And the door opened and a fountain of blood came out. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a necromancer <laughs> sucking the blood from a skeleton. And, and how was it coming out of the lift? Do I want to know? If a skeleton can can have its blood drawn, I feel like a lift mechanism can also. Okay. It was just a standard blood nova. <laughs> you've seen one, you've seen more. Yeah. If you do a blood nova in a sealed lift, then when it opens, there's a it's lot of blood to come out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. That's just awkward. There's there's loads, right? loaded Diablo heroes in the lift. <laughs> it's a big faux pas in necromancer community. Necromancer lets out a huge blood, blood nova in the lift. <laughs> Very rude. Maybe if the camera lingered for a bit longer, you'd just get like a, an embarrassed face just peering around the side. Like, <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. Good question section, everybody. That's a wrap. No. Uh, first question comes from June, who bellows, how are you? I didn't warn you this one was coming, no. but I thought it was a good way to introduce Pip. How are you, Pip? Bellows June. 
I, I'm okay. <laughs> Feeling a bit like I should have had a better answer for that. <laughs> it's all right. That is the correct answer. The to radishes how are, you? are doing well. Excellent. Mm. Alex writes. <laughs> is that spy code? Is there, is there a hidden <laughs> message contained there? <laughs> Moscow's nice this time of year. Well, Chris did that to me earlier. He was like, the pie is in the oven. It <laughs> was. was like, the squirrel is up the tree. The like, radishes what are, we are doing fine. Here? All of these things were true. There was a squirrel up a tree. I had just put a pie in the oven. <laughs> the, the radishes are encrypted. The radishes are doing well. And now there's this briefcase in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> where it came from. Unrelatedly, we also had a pie for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> And then I was stabbed with a Polonian umbrella. Um, Alex writes, What games just refuse to go into your brain? I keep seeing things about Agents of Mayhem, but my brain will not hold on to any details. My thing is, not Shadow of Mordor, but the fact that Shadow of Mordor is made by Monolith. Mm. <laughs> just can't store that fact. And uh, I keep having to be reminded of it. I think just Monolith have had a weird history. They've made lots of good stuff and some mediocre stuff but there seems almost no connection between one thing and the next. Mm. Mm. There are is, lots sorry. of games that do that for me, but I can't remember them. <laughs> which is... Well, I mean, ironically, this, this tweet reminded me that Agents of Mayhem exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's... Because um, there's like Crackdown, Agents of Mayhem, Saints Row, and I feel like maybe one other kind of light-hearted GTA-ish game. And two of those are by the same people. Yeah. Maybe more than two. <laughs> two of them. Two Saints of them. Row and Agents of Mayhem. It took right. you I think I keep thinking Crackdown to remind me that it wasn't Agents of Mayhem. Yeah, because there's a new Crackdown as well, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah. Three. And I, I think I keep thinking that Agents of Mayhem is by the Crackdown people, but mm. it's not. Mm. No uh, plot details of the game Prototype or Prototype 2 have entered my brain and also any game like it like, you don't remember the travails of prototype protagonist alex mercer why the fuck do i remember that? <laughs> uh yeah almost all games don't go into my brain because it's fucking nonsense a lot the of the guy, time to be honest the guy in prototype 2 um early on uh tells an enemy he's going to uh kill him and then skull fuck the corpse yeah. <laughs> so that's a good way of getting you on his side that's grim yeah. where are you gonna put your that's hmm. business Wait, <laughs> We've got choices, like, is I it an eye? It's best not to dwell. I think <laughs> actually, it's a good question. I've been assuming it's an eye for some reason, but now that you mention it, it could or easily like a... be the mouth, <laughs> <laughs> or like the neck. Like that's a. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> what, a lot once of, it's off. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and presumably ears. I mean, I ask a necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember no, his name. No, though. Sorry, no, no, I'm not going to finish that <laughs> thought. Um, I've d- d- been thrown rather by that um <laughs> maybe it just depends your girth fucking help it <laughs> well i mean you know you might want to vary it a bit <laughs> how many people do you skull fuck this is the grimmest idea you've ever introduced within two minutes of the radishes are doing well <laughs> <laughs> i'm just trying to be helpful <laughs> I'm sure this answers the question, what games refuse to go into your brain? (laughs) (laughs) This one's never leaving now. Well, I mean, that's one way of getting things in there, I suppose. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Philippa. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Our next question comes from, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Garrick, who writes, what is the best game for gardening? Oh. There's no way this is going to get onto necrophilia. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it depends 
what kind of thing you mean. Because there are a few, a fair few on Itch.io where you cultivate a thing, you know, a, a, a plant of some kind. And there's a few on Steam. But if it's about just cultivating something, there are actually other ways that you can get that fix, I guess, with, you know, management sims or with, you know, other mm. things where you're maybe cultivating something different and you'd get the same sense of, oh, a thing. Um, <laughs> That's the sense I look for in games. Oh, a thing. Like, oh, you know, I've I've done a nice thing and I've... Um, I think, I can't remember what it's called. It's the same people that did Little Party. Is it, is it a good gardener or something or a good garden or essentially you are tasked with growing plants in a a prison yard and the game plays out over a course of a few days and it's really thought provoking and thoughtful and not in a heavy-handed way particularly it's you you do really sink into enjoying the the process of growing the plants and getting a bit annoyed with birds that come along (laughs) and eat the seeds or you know the the worry of oh did i put the watering can in the place where it will get water if it rains you know that kind of thing what was that one where you're growing like organs that is um my hang on my organic garden but that's more of a clicker game i get it now (laughs) Mm. so i feel like it doesn't really feel like gardening it's more about the um the dopamine hit of the clicker game as a general concept glitter mitten grove is kind of you prune trees in that that's the game that frog fractions 2 was hidden inside Mm. um and it was a game about making a little fairy society by growing trees and it was you had to sort of like cut the right bits off the trees to make it grow in the way you wanted it to Mm. um and uh chelsea saunders is making a game about um i think where each level is a garden and you have to mow it and weed it um she is uh somebody who just makes like really gorgeous acute 3d art um and has had uh she was working on a, a game that everyone was really excited about and then she managed to lose both her i think her laptop got fried and she lost the external hard drive she had it backed up on oh uh, like in the same two days oh, wow. and so she literally lost every copy she had of it and then she got a job at google uh, <laughs> which was uh cool but also we all kind of thought oh it's a shame because we were waiting for a game from her and then she left google and now she's making this gardening game oh that's so cool i'll look that up her name on Twitter is Pixelated Crown. Oh, wait, I follow that. I've been following that for ages. It looks amazing. <laughs> and like she posts all of these awesome gifs of like the dog animations that she's working on and the like menu systems and things and they mm. look so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited about that one. There's also but like other things, you know, it might just be that you get the sense of cultivating a little space of your own from things like viva pinata or whatever you know mm. so i think it depends what you're looking for it's not a pc game but um animal crossing always felt like a kind of social gardening game mm. i think it's things where it's got persistence and you revisit it regularly and things change and it's with the watching of fairly menial things changing that gives you pleasure it feels like a gardening type experience even if it's not Mm. Well, you can plan things, obviously, yeah. but uh, the way it changes with the seasons and nature changes, you know, it's, it's something organic and persistent about it that isn't dramatic, really, but just really satisfying. Mm. Mm. Next question comes from Thomas, who writes, 
Magic the Gathering has limped along digitally for years across subpar software iterations, surviving mainly on strong core game design. What other games have strong design slash mechanics, but were underserved by their presentation or tech, and might otherwise succeed brilliantly? Question mark. I would say uh, Warhammer, both 40,000 and Fantasy. So you would include Dawn of War and Total War? Uh, I think they're, they are the standout cases. Mm. I think they both do a very good job, actually. Um, but they are the exception <laughs> to mm. the, the... There are huge numbers of uh, Warhammer games on Steam that uh, are built on really good game systems like More Time, but don't realise yeah, what's a lot of, More Time. There's a lot of NAF individual standalone GW games that could yes. probably be adapted as they are, right? Yeah, and lots of kind of dodgy hex-based, turn-based strategy games. And some of them are, are interesting, but none of them capture what's actually interesting about that core rule set or that core mm. universe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's that's one of the cons- most consistent failures for, of, you know, translating IP into games. I think uh, games like Space Marine, games like Dawn of War, games like to- Total War Warhammer especially is very good at um, actually capturing something that people enjoyed about the original thing uh, but they are very much exceptions the secret seems to be putting the word war in the title another time <laughs> <laughs> yeah just give it at least war. two wars war it twice is that just because they are taking something which was successful in a different format and then trying to shoehorn it into another format in or onto a different platform and they have been you know that li- those licenses are also spread pretty thin so it, it's kind of the the problem that perhaps was magic the gathering's problem but also then you know adds in the absolute well scattergun you know um if we throw enough plaster at this wall some of it will stick mm. right yeah the, that's a thing <laughs> the <laughs> definitely pasta the thing with magic is that um the big difference between magic which i agree has had terrible software iterations especially the last few games have been fucking abysmal uh, for me uh, is that there's no kind of attached expectation, spectacle expectation for, you know, what magic's supposed to look like, or what it can look like, or what people imagine it looks like. It's, it is just a card game with cards that have, you know, cool art. Whereas Warhammer comes with that entire, like, imagined universe and, you know, uh, decades of concept art and decades of story writing behind it. And it actually does, I think it does take a lot of money and effort to realise that. And that even if you make a game that's you know not tied to the original rule set you have to hit some of that spectacle you have to try and capture some of that world otherwise what's the point if you know maybe that sounds a bit too cruel but i think for me the games that have done it well are the games that have spent money on um the way that a space marine looks and the way that uh, yeah. an army looks and the way that you know them clashing actually is is reflected even if the rule set is not great that spectacle is such a big part of it mm. so you're thinking like triple a or text adventure and everything in the middle can GTFO. Well, everything in the middle, it, as uh, I've well. played, has been crap. <laughs> Do you know what it is, though? It's Apart from Blood Bowl. The stuff in the middle tends to aim for, like, again, it's a bit naff AAA rather than, like, no one has made, like, a really good pixel art or hammer game, despite mm. that being awesome. Uh, and, like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, one, no cool. one is investing in the sort of the types of art that mm. games with low budgets can do well. You always end up with bad 3D, right? Yeah, I mean, the exception is, like, Vermintide's good, actually. Vermintide's uh, really good, yeah. Uh, the, uh, Dark Omen was very good back in the day. Um, but all of those have uh, put loads of effort into their presentation. Like, Vermintide, mm. I think, is a very faithful and uh, representation of the original Warhammer fantasy uh, kind of uh, human cities from mm. concept art perspective. 
Yeah, that's the, that's the big one I'd choose. That's always the one that I feel like most studios swing and miss at. Very yeah. few studios nail it. Yeah, we might be particularly sensitive to that. But that's very true. Yeah. Find out more on the Miniatures Monthly. <laughs> <laughs> I had a brilliant idea for a Warhammer Edge of Sigma video game, Tom, but I'll tell you after. Okay. Because, <laughs> I don't know, because I know that Pip and Tom would get into an opposites competition or anything just to stave off the, <laughs> stave off the, uh, the ennui. Also, uh, the whiskey's on this side of the room, so if you ever so want to see that again, you'll be... Point. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, next question comes from... Ivan, who writes, my dearest crate and my dearest crowbar. Not picking favourites. You often talk about how game reviews shouldn't be used to make statements about the game company's practices. While I agree with you, the review as a statement hinders the evaluation of a game's quality and decreases the usefulness of reviews in general. I also think that reviews as a statement, and I think he's particularly referring to user reviews, um, are often the only real option for consumers to fight back against harmful practices. Let's look at the most recent fiasco about Take-Two shutting down GTA modding tool Open 4. Consumers couldn't vote with their wallet because they'd already purchased the game when this happened. Blog posts wouldn't be effective, since hardly anyone would have read them. Petitions hardly ever work, and protesting in the streets would be hard to organise. But the bad reviews GTA 5 received because of this immediately got Take-Two and Rockstar's attention, since this could have had a bad effect on the game's future sales. What do you think? Could reviews as a statement be necessary, be a necessary evil until we find a better option for fighting back against harmful practices? Thanks for questions, everybody! He shouts, three exclamation marks. I just thought this was a really good counterpoint to what I had said on the last episode, actually, about, uh, I, you know, I think I have a bit of a knee-jerk negativity towards review bombing as a practice, and I'm not going to say that I've come around on that 100%, but I actually get that in terms of ways you can communicate with a developer that get a response particularly from a big studio like rockstar i can uh, that i get like i can see mm. why people would go to that. because it directly hurts your visibility on steam right it's actually yeah. does actually affect your business directly i mean not so much for gta and to be honest uh as a result of the fury around gta like it sprung way back up in the steam charts <laughs> more people are playing in them before okay. this happened uh so those um controversies go both ways and they can actually be quite helpful to developers sometimes in some ways yeah that their statement actually was funny because it, it was like i don't know i feel like any other developer when they've sort of been humbled like this they've been you know had a um damage inflicted to them that they have decided they can't take and they uh, need to actually react in some way um it would be this kind of like humble um uh uh, warm statement about how great the community is and how, of course, they always want what's best for the community. And <laughs> Rockstar is the most like clinical corporate thing of just yes, we have uh, we have decided that we will, uh, in some cases, perhaps not sue everybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think in this scenario, it's kind of a best case for negative user reviews being used in this way like it's a kind of we don't have any other way that this company will respond to us so we're you know doing a thing and hopefully it will get results but it's <sighs> to say that that's what are uh, oh, it's so complicated because it can so easily tip over into pretty much any other form of like online I don't want to say harassment because they're companies and it's a slightly different thing, but it, it can just tip over into 
unreasonable like for example if somebody has made a decision that a community doesn't like but it is based on you know the way a particular law works for example um i know that the way that some people uh some companies need to enforce trademark law get rubs people up the wrong way and they're seen as like bullying the Mm. little guy even when it's more that it's a business necessity and obviously there's like so many semantics tied up in that and so many uh edge cases and you know actually that was a bullying case and all that stuff so i'm not going to get into those weeds but just because consumers are angry doesn't mean that they're necessarily responding to the full story a lot of the time and also being annoyed about things doesn't seem to dissipate either and so there are plenty of game companies that I know every time I write about their work online and every time they publish a game online the reviews and the comments are going to be peppered with yeah but they still also did this like they screwed over this particular Mm. community and that's a a bone that will never be let to drop and so that will also impact like user reviews and things like that in a in a way that won't necessarily reflect a game and so uh, the game in question rather or the game in its current state and so I, I think it's it's definitely a way that people can make their voices heard and impact a company but it this is obviously the far end of or you know this is an example of people doing it with you know a, a more sympathetic reasoning and in the face of a monolithic uncaring seeming company on the end of it whereas if it's you know people bombing a review page for a game that just made a decision they didn't like that's yeah i feel like it if it seems like in the earliest days that we saw this it was the worst of it where it was frequently being used um about a game that was good um because of some controversy like gone home had a pretty bad review percentage for a long time uh i don't think because a large percentage of the people who bought it were unhappy with it i think because uh, there are a lot of people out there who didn't want it to exist (laughs) like they they felt they saw it as a threat to what they saw as gaming and that they thought it was like a a pollutant and it needed to be uh, kind of brought down like that and so that this game wasn't actually harming those people and they still um you know used that that method to try and harm it, it didn't work because it was a huge success anyway so ah. <laughs> but uh in like broadly it, it is true that this method is effective and that means that yes it can be a force for good but also it can be misused and also it's a you know giving people that power can be dangerous mm. it disproportionately affects smaller uh, projects mm. as well yeah that's it I, d- I don't think rockstar were in any trouble from these negative reviews i'm I'm I would sure imagine that, about that. if sure I was them, the thing I would be scared of is not like, oh, our next week's sales of GTA 5 will be down. Mm. It would be that, um, look, if this gets to be a pattern and all our games get like, you know, 20% positive on Steam, we're just going to have a rep for this and we're just, it's going to spread out to other fields and we'll look People bad. People still buy those games. I, I'm, they yeah. were, but, still be the biggest games in the world. I, I, th- I think they didn't like the, the negative articles. Yeah, I think that as well. I th- for them, I think they, they, 
run by very proud people who don't like to see negative coverage and this generates negative coverage i it, it's easy to assume that it's the consumer action that's actually doing this but it could easily be um but take two also anything. have to deal with things in their earnings calls so if they've got people who aren't necessarily familiar with the ins and outs of gaming who've skim read you know steam mm. negative reviews and they're just yeah. like holy shit what's going on with this game yeah. you know and ask and that think, on the record in an earnings call i also think a lot of the articles are, are kind of coming from the negative Steam reviews, negative Steam reviews is what proves this is a real story. Mm. If it was just like someone says on a forum, this is a bad thing, you don't necessarily believe it until you really see evidence of like, oh, this is a huge scale thing. Um, and that's, um, I feel like that's kind of how it happened with No Man's Sky. It was like the critical reception of No Man's Sky was like, eh, about 70%, 60%. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's not the classic that, uh, we kind of hope for, but it's, uh, it's pretty decent. And the user reviews was like 10%. <laughs> um, and then that, there were loads of articles reporting on that and saying, oh, people are fucking furious about No Man's Sky and there's a huge backlash against it. And uh, that became, uh, you know, a big part of the stigma. Yeah, I think, I think, Tom Senior, I think you've nailed it about Rockstar in this case because mm. they are specifically a famously image conscious studio. And I suspect, yeah, I suspect it was negativity surrounding this issue more broadly than the Steam reviews that done it in this particular instance, I would suspect. Yeah, you're right. It's a case by case basis as well. So yeah. the, the thing is, like, I've I've read loads of tweets and you know blogs from indie developers who they stress every day about their Steam ratings because visibility is everything on Steam now, and it's so hard. To well, get I exposure. mean, I mean, you know, I'm in a you know something that Sean and I have been thinking about with Hackmind is the fact that I think uh, you know Hackmind is now at a percentage of positive reviews where it's, it's one or two percent away from one of Steam's thresholds, positive right. thresholds, and it's it's a net positive, like it's it's in the has a number of positive reviews it's in the high 70 percentile i think so and if it gets but if it gets to 80 then that's suddenly a big deal so people obviously do care a great deal about this kind of thing but that means a lot when steam is the primary way that people are finding your game and playing it that means nothing to rockstar yeah i often feel like steam it's another one of those systems that steam the people at steam have implemented and then just sort of it has had all of these unexpected impacts but they don't necessarily impact Steam or Valve negatively. And so you're relying on their goodwill or their personal interest to actually figure out how to make it better or how to make it fairer or how to make it reflect um, scores in the way that it was initially intended to do. And I think that that can be an awkward balance to to strike i'm I'm not saying for a second that it's an easy job but i also think that it is a responsibility of theirs towards the community that they want to develop on there that you yeah know, it doesn't because the other thing is just you know you mentioned about it impacting smaller developers disproportionately and it's worth flagging up that you know it's it's going to be somebody's job to look at those things and look at the complaints that come in and when it's a one person indie studio that is that one person who is also desperately trying to do all of the other things and at a take two company like rockstar there's going to be a bunch of people and it's not going to be their, you know, their entire livelihood. Mm. I mean, it'll be their job, but it won't be, you know, also the thing that they're working evenings and weekends and holidays for. Mm. I think the, um, the thing Valve care about is, um, they don't see it as bad if there's a bad game on steam and they don't see it as bad if there's a large number of people who hate a game 
but they see it as bad if a lot of people bought a game thinking they'd like it and they didn't like it. And so um, cases where that happens, they're, they're very keen to avoid. And the, the, there's actually, I can't remember where this was, but there's something in the, the sort of Steam language that um, uh, that sort of interprets a negative review as this game is not what I expected. In fact, I think when you refund, um, that's what you have to sort of say is that this is not what I was expecting. Um, mm. And that's the thing they're really concerned about. They want people to, when they paid money for something, to get the thing they were hoping to get and how many people like it and how many people don't like it is not really relevant. It's just like, did you, were you sort of duped by the store page? That's the kind of thing that they would really uh, not like and uh, want to get rid of, uh, you know, partly because that's the right thing to do, partly because it's uh, in their long-term financial interest to have people trust Steam and feel like Steam is a place where, you know, if there's something bad on it, it will have a terrible review percentage and that will tell you in advance that you shouldn't buy it. The thing is, like, that's a really interesting nuance and it's a really interesting way to approach things because you'd presumably want to have more successes. But if it's it's essentially... if the rating isn't about the quality of the game but about the about how accurate it was then that's actually a review of the marketing yeah. and whether it was misleading or not and that's an interesting and really important distinction that gets lost as soon as you call it steam reviews yeah i think um i think they would see that as um as working as intended if if like you know if you made I don't know if you just released um, Transport Tycoon and gave it the store page of GTA Five, and you got zero percent positive reviews. Steam would see that as working. It's like, mm. yeah, you, you, uh, the fact that Transport Tycoon is a good game is irrelevant to the fact that you uh, have advertised this way. And um, yeah, so I think you're right that that's it's as much a review of the the way the game is presented as it is of what the game is. It almost like that encourages more honest marketing. Yeah, and I, I think I would like. The Gone Home, uh, Gone Home didn't have like a huge backlash. I, I just uh, refer to it because it's an interesting case where um, the game is really good, and uh, everyone who likes a certain kind of game really likes it. Um, and if all of the negative reviews it got were from people who bought it genuinely expecting it to be a sort of a video game with guns in it, <laughs> and then we're like, "What the hell? Where are the guns?" Yeah, I'm sure that's um, not many people. Really. Then the negative percent, <laughs> the, the negative reviews would be deserved, but they they're I, I'm pretty sure um, I even remember that their, their store page is super clear about this. It's like uh, really explicitly explains that this is not a game with shooting and challenge and, and stuff like that. I don't know though, because if something's got really high review, uh, if something's got like amazing review scores, but all that really means is, yes, this is accurately represented in the <laughs> screenshots video and blurb. Like, you know, there are times when I've considered picking stuff up because it got such a high review and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe that's a really good example of the genre, which I'm less familiar with. Maybe I'll pick that up. Mm. And then that's a weird position to be in because it's like, well, even though the reviews are doing what Steam wants them to do, they're not helping me as a consumer in the way that I'm expecting them to. And so I think that that's poor messaging on yeah. their part, potentially. It's not 100% accuracy-based. Obviously, if a game, if a store page makes the game look shit and then it is shit, it still won't get very many <laughs> positive reviews because people do still care about how good the final thing was. It just feels like this would be easily solved with like like any kind of like online store has like star ratings for things like, you know game was ad- advertised out of five stars 
game worked was stable on my pc out of five stars you know what i mean like no text box just fill these this little questionnaire in would surely give that information without that ambiguity like i'm kind of with pip on this that like that is they're kind of if that's what a steam review is supposed to do then that's not what a review means really Mm. it's like did you like this game not because people probably forget about the advertising to a great extent when they start um playing it most people probably who know they want a game and just go to steam to buy it probably don't even look at the way it's advertised on steam particularly or if you're you know? used to the way that games do get advertised with all that in-engine bullshit and you know here's a cinematic and you're like oh for god's yeah, sake yeah yeah here's know, some bullshots then like... you might just end up going okay well i mean i i was trying to be game literate and yeah. i was expecting i or, i don't know or to, or to to flip it on its head you, you play an excellent game that happened to have bullshit advertising you know what I mean? Like the Steam store was just full of bullshots and the description was overblown, but I loved it. Mm. You know, on its own strengths, it became apparent to me when I started yeah. playing it. Where I think those people, people who feel that, give it a positive review. No, I know. But like if, you know what I mean? Like there's, I think it's a, I, I would love to see a system that was just rate this. I mean, given that I'm, you know, maybe against the concept of like a very mechanical, dry form of reviewing in, in the traditional kind of games media context i'd be actually for it when it came to hmm. user reviews i feel like it'd be more information like i'd be interested to know what percentage of people who played this had trouble running it yeah that i think that's a there are definitely some Maybe pretty if they clear had distinctions a way of like flagging up if beyond a certain percentage of people returned it for technical reasons or something because mm. then you'd have stuff like batman you know getting yeah flagged up as you know be really careful because yeah, it a... might not one run properly um but like this is all a bit beside the point of the question and i'm really glad that people were able to use the steam reviews to get a resolution that was perhaps more what they wanted especially given it was such a heavy-handed ridiculous approach from 2k and rockstar on that one so i'm i'm pleased that it worked out on that front but i'm still super wary of what yeah. it can be used for and how badly it can impact i think, I think there's this sort of breaking it down further thing that chris is suggesting could help in this situation because if you gave people the option of like why are you rating us low or, you know, um, uh, yeah, why are you rating us low um, and your options are like quality of the game, uh, accuracy as to what I expected versus um, what it really is, uh, or just something else. And then uh, something else can be, um, people still know they're giving it a negative review, they're still going to do damage to its overall um, percentage. Um, I think they wouldn't be incentivized to sort of lie about it and claim it had technical problems if it didn't. Um, and so then when you as a, as a, um, potential customer coming to the store page, hovering over the, the review percentage, you get told like, okay, it's got 10% negative, but here's the breakdown. Uh, very few people have problems with the quality of the game. Very few people have problems with the technical issues, but a large number of people had, you know, other issues or. Yeah. Something that might be interesting is, so in Dota, when you complain about people, uh, you, well. No, no, I mean, you're right. No, it's. You it's, have yeah. to pick something from a list you have to say whether it was communication abuse you have to say whether it was you know something else and maybe making people pick the most egregious thing that you are complaining <laughs> yeah. about would stop you know just blanket one star one star one star just because i can yeah, it's you know, just because i want to give it the the full fury that i am mm. in like, right now yeah pick the one thing that made you the most cross about <laughs> this game yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the whole system suffers from uh, because these systems like tend to erase just the quietly happy people 
who mm. bought the thing, mm. enjoyed the thing, and that was the end of their transaction. Uh, and the, because there's no real incentive to rate anything on Steam, mm. uh, process votes are overrepresented because uh, you have that emotional charge to go and actually give that negative review. Mm. Whereas people who just buy the thing and get what they expected don't need to go, feel the need to go in and say, five stars, this is great, this is exactly what I wanted. Um, so that we see this like in, in media and in comments threads all the time. So if you just, if you looked at a comments thread, the people who are motivated are often, to comment, are often motivated by negativity for negative reasons. Mm. And it's not representative of the, the number of people you know who read that article. And mm. so actually like 99% of the people who read that read it and you don't know what on earth they thought and they just moved on with their lives and the same applies to games as well and this is the same review system maybe if it could like maybe if it just gave you a pop-up at the end just saying you know are mm. you having a nice time yeah. <laughs> essentially or a variation thereon, and you just said yes and that was factored in you know like just after the first time you play it just that checking in with you as a kind of is it all right are you having any problems? You know, because one would take you to the um, store page just as, a, or like the the uh, refundy, you know, info page, and the other one would just be like, "Oh, that's cool." You know, your approval or your your you know continued ambivalence has been noted. <laughs> you could even, I mean, you could even take the percentage of people who left a negative review as a percentage of the people who own the game and have played it for more than two hours like anyone who's left the refund period mm. because steam has that information and it's even publicly available from steam spy so i don't think it would be a um mm. privacy issue necessarily because that's already in the api i believe so you know if you just if, if i knew that like of all the people who've played this for more than two hours yeah you know 0.1% of people left an negative yeah, review, good yeah. then I'd be like, oh, okay, well, yeah. there's 99.9% of people out there that, you know. Yeah. Like, it'd be a bit like if on a PC Gamer comments thread at the top, it said, like, 102 comments out of 180,000 views. Mm. You know what I mean? You suddenly have that perspective that you desperately lack when you think, 102 comments, that's loads! And then you realise that, you know, it's it's a bit less than a percent. In the ocean, yeah. yeah. Mm, that would actually be really cool. Mm. Man, I think Man, we just... got really hard into that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, our next question comes from Jamie, who wrote a really nice email um, about a sad thing. So, dear Crate and Crowbar, I'm writing this with a desire to hear your opinions on mental state and its effect on the player's experience of games. <clears throat> Sorry. I've... I'm actually just going to drink a little bit of whiskey because my voice is going. <laughs> <clears throat> I have relatively recently begun to experience anxiety after a breakdown due to overwork and stress, which I'm now in the slow process of pulling myself back from. I live and work in Indonesia, and being easily identified as foreign is tiring and having no control over a conversation's direction in Bahasa Indonesian makes every conversation mildly stressful, as I never know when I'm going to be forced into the conversation or if it will be properly understood. Well-meaning though people are, it's still stressful living in a different culture. Games, computer, mobile, and board have been a source of solace as they give me an opportunity to either be in control of the subject of a given conversation or an excuse to not engage in social situations. Playing computer games after the breakdown has been interesting as their effects have radically changed for me. An example being Darkest Dungeon, which for a long time was my favourite game. One that I could sink literal days into and that I found weirdly relaxing, so much so that I would use it as pain medication once when suffering from an impacted tooth, playing it through the night until I could see a dentist. Now, however, I find its emphasis on mental illness difficult to deal with, and its near-constant small-scale failure reflects painfully how some days can feel like near-constant streams of failures for myself. By comparison, the newest Torment 
seems to come out at the perfect time, giving me a small-scale emphasis on success and a, catharsis, a cathartic examination of suffering and the changing nature of the mind. Torment gave me an opportunity to work through and let out some of the emotions which I had been holding inside. My phone ringtone is now the success sound effect from, the, from Torment, and it gives me a lovely tasty dopamine rush every time I hear it. My question for questions is how does your mental state affect your experience of games or indeed any medium? Are there any particular games that had an unexpected effect on you? Another request, if Chris is willing to bring his goblin voice out of retirement for one last statement, I would love to hear him exclaim, lovely tasty dopamine with it. Yours sincerely and apologise for the length. Jamie. So give me a sec. <laughs> Save this for your Buy fire water. I remember, remember that voice. Lovely tasty dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a cutout and keep bit of audio recording there that anyone can take and use as ringtones or anything they like. <laughs> More requests on demand. <laughs> you have to tell us a really long and uh, touching story first, though. Yeah, uh, I was actually because <laughs> we obviously <clears throat> I'd read this in advance. And I knew this was coming at the end of the email. I thought, well, wouldn't it be a great treat for Jamie if I read the entire email in that voice? <laughs> then I realised that for everybody else listening to this who didn't know the content of the email, didn't know the context of that bit at the end, that would sound like the most insensitive thing <laughs> yeah. they could possibly have done, which is why I didn't do it. Hmm. Um, so yeah. yes, um, yeah, it's a really interesting. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Um... Uh, the darkest dungeon was, you know, uh, helpful for them. Uh, at least to an extent. Yeah. And until, um, its themes started to become a problem. Like I've heard of, um, games being used in therapy for that, in that way. Um, and it tends to be things that are kind of compulsive and that you can just keep playing. I think the a key ingredient is that the game can't dictate the length of your play session too much. Um, you know, you can die and, and restart and everything, but it can't be a, a game that's just over and you're done with it. Um, because how long you need it to distract you from whatever it is you're going through is, is, mm. has to be on your terms. Have you played Diablo 3? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, yeah, I bet that's good. If you're into it, I bet Perfect, that's, yeah. that fits really well. Cause it's, that is, um, Certainly it can be, uh, just a long chain of successes. Like <laughs> you can challenge yourself and you can get to the, the stuff that, that is going to be the brutal design, to survive, but yeah. a large part of that game is just like you win forever. <laughs> You're great. Lovely tasty dopamine, <laughs> says Deckard Kane. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how I feel yeah. about grand strategy games as well. Like mm. just like endless games of Civ or Total War or something where again, it's like, yeah, it has to maybe a fixed length because eventually the campaign ends, but it's over a scale where it's like not especially stressful. And it's just, it's it, it, like, I mean, we mentioned earlier, Pip's given me a look like uh, I've just. No. Oh look. God, sorry. No, I didn't mean <laughs> to. I was just thinking like, but isn't grand strategy just a slow, awful, inexorable was... <laughs> slide towards death and misery? <laughs> That's what your look expressed, so... Oh, good. Well, I mean, at least... Success. At least my inability to My have Steam anything. review says it's exactly what I expected. <laughs> I don't no, I mean, it's because... Bit. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, like, it's like it's like gardening. It's like a management game. You just mm. you just tend to a little civilization that blossoms or a space mm. fleet or something or, or an army or whatever it is, and you just take mm. on a little journey and... You know, you can step away, you can go back, but it absorbs a near infinite amount of time in small, manageable, measurable chunks. That's why I've always kind of gravitated towards them when I can't do anything else, basically. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, um, Dead Cells has been filling a good slot for me lately in terms of, um, 
when I need a break from work and I'm feeling mentally exhausted and I'm also getting RSI, um, a dead cells are playing on a gamepad, so it's a different uh, kind of interaction that doesn't trigger the RSI. And also it's kind of, there's a lot of skill to it. There's not too much thinking to it. <laughs> you pretty much just play on instinct. You just kind of, you know, it's very reactive um, and you just kind of go into it. And the fact that it's, um, it's a sort of full run of it, I think takes about an hour and a half. Um, and that's long on the on the scale of break games but you usually won't get that far so you have a convenient opportunity to stop before then and also it saves so you can just quit before then anyway but yeah i find that because it feels really good and it's just kind of very straightforward and and skill-based and satisfying um that definitely scratches an itch for me at the moment Hmm. well good (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that Torment has been helpful as well because that is yeah. a great, great game. That's I find that interesting to hear that that was um, a very thoughtful game, kind of replaced Darkest Dungeon, and you know its themes were mm-hmm. a pickup in a way, and uh, yeah, a way mm-hmm. to kind of confront. Because there's a lot of kind of um, like it's a very thoughtful game. Torment, it's about the your people's inner spaces and you know the way people think about things and the way people perceive things. So maybe that is quite a therapeutic, interesting space to go after. After experiencing that, I mean, I used to find uh, like uh, big RPGs, bio RPGs, Dragon Age series, particularly as and Mass Effect, as like very powerful getaways for this kind of thing. Mm. Um, in fact, actually, I sort of took it as a sign that, like, psychologically, I was better off that I stopped getting that out of them. Weirdly, mm. like when I came around to Inquisition and Andromeda, my life and situation, kind of like happiness, had changed to the extent that, like, I just enjoyed them as games rather yeah. than like deeply kind of sinking into them as like places to escape to. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Pip just punched the air. Into <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, it yeah, feels indeed. like and... a positive review. <laughs> <laughs> it was what I expected. <laughs> Did not return it after two hours. <laughs> Hooray. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've never found games. Like I've, I've realized listening to you, talk that I haven't ever used a game in a therapeutic way I very much have used a lot of games particularly casual games to stave off the worst of mental health nonsense but nothing nothing in games has ever helped me get back out it's always just Mm. been a case of riding it out and then when i start to climb back out or try to force myself back out that's a lot more stuff that happens outside games and sometimes in spite of it Mm. and i realized that or i i have realized after the fact that games which games have been occupying me in that very specific way because I can't go back to them because I suddenly have all of these bad associations of things like dots on the mobile phone and Candy Crush and Mm. things like that. I cannot play them anymore because it's like, oh, does this mean everything's gone catastrophically wrong again? Or, you know, it's things like that. They're just, they're the bad games because they're from the bad times. That's a good point about, um, sorry, Chris. um, It's a really good point about uh, games blocking out time. Because I, I used this when I, I suffered from terrible insomnia at university and just never slept. And games were the, were a solution, frankly. Like, instead of just sitting there and staring at a ceiling for ages, 
play Half-Life, went through the entire history of PC gaming, played Dungeon Keeper, <laughs> and I've got a career out of that now. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was really positive. I've, and I really enjoyed it. And it kind of turned that, um, that negative thing into a really good thing for me. And it wasn't like, games are so often associated with being a waste of time. Um, but if it's time that you have to spend feeling shit or games are a godsend in that context yeah. like if you can't see me mm. feel awful but a bit of dungeon keeper is brilliant and that's <laughs> a, that's such a great thing and you know a lot of people uh a lot of people turn to drugs or alcohol or lots of other more uh, you know harmful behaviors when the game of civilization might just kind of let you coast through that time mm. Uh, mm. and into a better place afterwards mm. yeah i think i gravitate towards the thing where it like with casual games especially, it chunks everything up into such small portions that you just get through the next bit and then get through mm. the next bit mm. and through the next bit. It's kind of like on Kimmy Schmidt where she's like, if you can get through the next 10 seconds mm. and then yeah. the 10 seconds <laughs> after turning the crank. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly. That's genuinely same. why I, I talk about loving grand strategy games for that because each of them just breaks down into a turn mm. and you make three decisions and then you press next turn and then you make another three decisions and before you know it, six hours has passed. But you know what I mean? Each mm. one is just a little turn of the wheel. Mm. And... That makes a huge difference. The thing I was going to say is that I find that um, I think one of the reasons that now I definitely see games as like something I was thinking to if I'm stressed, but as a way to get through that until I kind of it kind of resolves is because I think I've come to recognize that most of my solutions to these problems don't come from games because the way I'm the way I'm wired, I I I, I start to feel better if I if if I start to pick up momentum with a project or start to achieve things again which is often the big thing that measures whether or not i'm happy or not basically is like am i making a thing am i doing something other hobbies have filled in for the thing games used to do i think in some regard um since but more broadly i think i came to a realization that like i stopped seeing that kind of like personal creative potential in games specifically and started seeing it outside of games so like you know now it might be something cool with help you know the dev side of the stuff I'm doing at the moment that shakes me out of feeling low. Whereas games themselves used to provide some of that kind of creative outlook, but don't feel like they do anymore. I don't know if that, that's not a fully formed idea, but certainly somewhere between starting to do more creative work, getting into painting as a hobby, I've left games behind as a sort of creative outlet that I used to find genuinely therapeutic. And now I find them more as a sort of time occupying, as we've just been talking about, like, uh, escapist coping mechanism while the rest of those things resolve themselves back to the point where they become possible again mm. if that makes sense mm. yeah really interesting topic pip's doing a face i'm just i was just trying to look like i was we it was were a really done. good face <laughs> i was just looking like this was the Oh, for goodness. It, 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 it's, it's an audio medium, so sometimes I feel I need to introduce the thing people aren't getting at home, which is the oh, this the full is the roster face of that was supposed to be. Yes, I agree. It is time to move on to the next thing, <laughs> <laughs> which has spectacularly gone wrong. It hasn't gone wrong. Well, we haven't moved on. <laughs> well, that's on me, isn't it? <laughs> friends or friends? It's friends. I got it wrong. Writes. Dear Crate and Croxagore, I am a Blood Bowl fan. I've played it for over a thousand hours and I consider myself to be quite a proficient player. Watching Bill and Ted's bogus journey last week, specifically the scene in which the eponymous heroes challenge death to a series of games to win back their lives, I found myself idly wondering what game I would choose to face the Grim Reaper. 
The answer, of course, was Blood Bowl, although he'd probably make me play as halflings or something. I also considered XCOM until I realised that that was mad. So I ask you, what games would you choose to fight against death in a battle for your mortal soul? Regards, friends. Half-Life 2 deathmatch, gravity gun only. (laughs) Bring it on, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta radiate you with your name on it. (laughs) (laughs) How Tom threw a toilet at death. (laughs) Sensible soccer. I could beat death at sensible soccer. Damn, that seems cagey. Save my immortal soul. Hmm. I would... Is death good at logic puzzles? I don't know. Because this... I'm not good at anything else, really. <laughs> like, not to the extent that one could beat death, you Are know? there any versus logic puzzles? Well, I, I just mean that we'd both, I don't know, both take it, it in terms of the latest do... Yeah, or like uh, hex cells or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not sure that he'd be up for that, or she, or it. I think I'd probably go for For Honor. At the moment, I think. In terms of games that I feel like I could genuinely do to a reasonable standard, probably for honor. Plus, Death hasn't had that long to get good at that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a relatively recent game. There's no scythes in for honor. That's true. That is true. Mm. There's, yeah, um, Death's not big on kicking people off I'd stuff. want the cape. Like, I think if I won, I'd make it a condition that I got the cape. <laughs> Death's just a naked skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed, we've been there on well, already. Look, you know, I'd get somehow. into trouble if I went out without my clothes on. Death would be fine, you know? Like, it's still ultimately death. Like, hmm. no one's going to just be like, you're in the nud, you know, and, and I'm not coming with you. They, they'd have to. So, but me, I'd benefit from this cape, hmm. right? Just going to put that out I'd play there. death at a game of X-Wing, the miniatures game. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be my seventh seal, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, but what if he was playing one of those armies that trounces yours? Well, he's got a bad matchup, man. Just happens what about sometimes. what if he's over, good at dice rolling? Over the course of a Swiss, it shouldn't happen every time, but you can only die once. So there's, you know, but you're that's the really the, bad at dice. Like, I am really bad at dice. Absolutely the, terrible. The problem with the Blood Bowl pick is that it has to be like over a period of 10 games or something to get rid of that variance. Yeah, Otherwise, you're too much into yeah, one thing. To be fair, that, I, mean, I wouldn't pick any game with dice in it. Absolutely. You want a game of skill. Like, sure. Yeah, so that's probably why I would go for For Honor. I don't know because with a with a game of gambling, I'd I'd maybe stand a chance. <laughs> you know? Maybe that's it. Mm. Does death control dice? No, it's quite an assumption. Who knows? Yeah, I think the other thing is you don't want a game like like I wouldn't. The reason I wouldn't go for a deathmatch game like Tom did is because sometimes there's an element of luck there as well. It would be a deathmatch, Chris. <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> Actually, I legit, I legit would play Deathmatch Classic. I would Quake. Quake deathmatch, I would definitely do. Oh man, I would do a one-on-one Unreal Tournament joust insta-jib. The, the CTF map where you both started each other's flags, yeah. so you've already got the flag and you've just got to get down a single long corridor. <laughs> That's like playing death Why hardcore mode. you challenge death to tribes? tribes what is actually, this nonsense? You're completely right, I would challenge death to tribes. I would, tribes duel, yeah. Whereas totally. I'm a bit more like, shall we just rock, paper, scissors for this? Because, I mean... <laughs> You're like tossing I've coins. Got, I've got 50, as 50. good a chance as exactly. I'd definitely run a, like a, a Civ 4 campaign, but I'd never email him my save. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> staving him off for eternity. Literally cheated death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you could just like play in a game where the servers go down a lot. So <laughs> just like it's likely to get aborted. Yeah. Well, oh, what's that game? Uh, Infernum 
Solomon Solomon. <laughs> that would be a good game to play for his death. Actually, based around... Play death around, at Neptune's pride. <laughs> based around my most recent attempt to engage with it, Battleborn doesn't oh. have enough uh, players to reliably find a match. So you we just be sat there queuing forever. It was just like, yeah... Well, it's fine. I'm going to make a cup of tea. Can I get you anything? Battleborn is so bad now that you get always get match made with death because it's the only one. I know. Tell you what, I would challenge. I would challenge Death to be on my team for a game of Dota, where if we lose, he gets my mortal soul, because even if Death tried to sabotage the match, that would be basically no different to playing a solo ranked (laughs) pub game of Dota Two. And so I would probably lose just over 49% of the time, which I'll take those odds. Good. Next is... I don't want to die. No one knows. (laughs) No, that's not on the table. That was the purpose of the segment. Mm. We've all established how we would do this, I think. I don't know. Russ writes, hi, CNC. Back in episode 108... You updated the Crate and Crowbar community about progress on the much-anticipated Zombie Cops game. Development had been troubled and you were considering refunding your numerous Kickstarter backers. Things were looking grim for the Payday 2-inspired undead crime caper, but during a drunken brainstorming session, inspiration struck and the team rescoped the project as a procedurally generated open-world MMO called Zombie Cops Universe. The game was saved. You hoped to have a playable code ready by 2017. I had dismissed this tantalizing prospect as so much drunken whiffle, but then, 105 episodes after promising it, the Bloodbone, blood, Bloodbone, Bloodbone, which is a, a Diablo thing, Bloodborne videos began appearing. So, can your loyal band of followers look forward to a Christmas destroying undead law enforcement officers? Yours in anticipation, Russ. I had completely... I still don't remember this. Yeah, <laughs> me, me neither. Like, it has the faint ring of familiarity, like, me sort of bizarre fictional game we made I up. remember laughing Sounds about like Payday thing. in Marsh's graveyard but <laughs> yeah. as we noted mm. before we began recording today we've done this 195 times <laughs> we drunk during most of them <laughs> yeah and it's four years of my life that I apparently uh, I do there's... I regret to inform listeners that the project has been reformed it's now uh, an arena shooter uh, with a new cartoon art style where the zombies <laughs> are you know highly effusive and relatable concepts uh with with different skins that can be unlocked via boxes of course and uh this is all uh this is all marsh davis's decision he (laughs) he owns the ip he's fled with it he can't do anything about it and and he has taken control and that's our new creative direction and uh, i look forward to it in uh 2022 i've heard that he's working on touching cinematic backstory uh pieces uh consisting of extremely beautifully animated penis mm. monsters uh, i bet he sold it to moriang <laughs> yeah but that's why they hired him because he had this precious ip Absolutely. that they had they to, to acquire it. at any oh, cost no. it, belongs, it belongs to microsoft now i'm afraid and there are going to be extensive legal battles <laughs> but we will persevere it's an xbox one exclusive <laughs> already and oh, xbox one x exclusive sorry mm. um and the windows 10 exclusive yeah with both of those things at the same time somehow mm. um because that's what exclusive means now yes um so yeah um Take it up with Marsh. Take it up with Marsh. (laughs) He owns the IP. Unfortunately, it's a dispute. Basically, at some point in the next couple of years, I expect that there will be a uh, earnest, in-depth and and well-researched article 
about the failings of this project <laughs> and what it might or might not say about both Kickstarter and uh, indeed games as a concept. And uh, indeed, indeed before that, I will leak it all to Kotaku uh, <laughs> in a form of a... Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I, like, I, and that will only result after a public Twitter feud between Tom and I that divides <laughs> yes. our Reddit community. <laughs> Um, so look forward to that yeah listeners. indeed look that's forward to that. a grim glimpse at our future uh, next is also a grim glimpse at our future it's from Benedict Cucumber Batch who writes dear Creighton Cucumber and I'm going to make sure I get this all right uh, Cucumber 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 Benedict Cucumber Batch and he includes a picture of the Windows 10 logo but the 10 is cucumbers uh. Pip's doing spaces associated with that sound. There's so your live grim. update on Pip's face. So Worst email. <laughs> to episode. The last episode, wasn't it? Email I'm least likely to eat. <laughs> That's the answer to the question you didn't ask. <laughs> Next up, nope. Right. <laughs> okay, well, we'll end Hang it there on, then. <laughs> was this an email that Benedict Cumberbatch wrote to us and you're just trolling <laughs> Like, yes. did he yes, just say right. something nice? He sent you a picture of Windows 10 and, and got, Chris replaced it with cucumbers. We got an email from Benedict Cumberbatch who wanted to know about the progress of Zombie Cops Universe. <laughs> okay, no, that's the point at which this became a lie. <laughs> Until then, it made sense. She's on to me. Well, I can't read it from here. I'm across the, uh, across the room and I don't have mighty eyes. You know? Like, long distance vision. Long vision. Short vision? Short-sighted. Long-sighted. I'm not long-sighted. There we go. <laughs> it wasn't... Oh, wait, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but only a little bit. <laughs> no one is questioning that you can't read the text. <laughs> makes perfect sense you can't read the text from that distance. Sorry. Nope writes. Last podcast, you all were talking about Tekken. And that's not me just deciding to read like that. That's how it was written. And how it is more accessible fighting game than others. This tickled me. So I decided to give some info about the fighting game community perspective. Tekken is actually considered to be either the hardest game to play competitively or tied for the top spot. Every character has 110 bajillion moves, each of which has a unique hitbox and recovery time, which is reacted to differently. Additionally, due to the fact that some of these moves are objectively garbage, pros will throw out these trash moves and completely destroy your mind and or pride. Mortal Kombat is considered to be the easiest to play competitively, whereas Street Fighter is the fundamentals game and sort of pins down the middle of the curve. At the very top, along with Tekken, are some anime fighters like Guilty Gear and Whatever vs. Capcom. Due to crazy execution requirements. Also, watch that mess you were talking about the story. That doesn't make sense. Whatever. He goes on to say, Hihachi trains Kuma a bear in Mishima Ryu Kenka Karate and makes him the manager of his Zaibatsu while he's off competing in death tournaments or firing his direct family into space chained to rockets. How can you say it isn't beautiful? That does sound beautiful. I know. I don't know a lot about art, but I know <laughs> what I, that's taken. <laughs> uh, thought read this out it's nice to get another perspective on the game I don't know if I fully buy this but I obviously bow to a greater wisdom I think maybe it's yeah. because a lot of the like, fighting game community people I know are huge tech, uh, huge Street Fighter heads so. yeah that's the thing for me as well Like I, I imagine a lot of perhaps Street Fighter people disagreeing but um, I'm glad that there is there is that level of complexity to tech at the top level um, I, I think the, the interesting about fighting games is that 90% of people who play them 
don't interact with that top level. So there are always two different games. It's a bit like we were talking about Diablo earlier, where there's the game that everyone plays um, trying to get good or for fun on, with their friends mm. or just because they enjoy beat-em-ups. And then the people who are really hardcore into the very top level about, you know, hitboxes and frames and, and that kind of level of um, uh, granularity. And it's, I'm glad that Tekken has that, but it's your experience playing it, you don't interact with that stuff. You don't really see it. I'm going to do a hot take now. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I am. Uh, I wonder if one of the reasons we te- see Tekken, we particularly see Tekken as like the kind of slightly more accessible casual fighting game, even if that's completely wrong, is because because of the huge widespread presence of the PlayStation 2 in the UK specifically huh. when we were growing up. Maybe so. Tekken was the game everyone was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was Tekken e- yeah. If you If you were just playing a fighting game for fun with your mates mm-hmm. and not taking it seriously, you were playing Tekken and Soul Calibur. If you were playing a fighting game because you were really fucking good at fighting games, you were playing Street Fighter. Yeah, that's true. And I wonder if that's maybe skewed our perspective on it a little bit. Yeah, because uh, I'm guessing from the y'all at the beginning of this email that we received this email from someone who's not from Britain. But I mean, that's going to be a guess. But like, uh, I, I think um, skewed our perspective somewhat. The point um, they make about execution requirements, like that, matters far more to players like me than it does to people at the top level. So they, yeah, um, the execution requirements of something like Street Fighter, which isn't too extreme actually, like Guilty Gear is pretty intense as well, um, are much higher. So I see Tekken from my like middling level of mm. uh, competence with the game uh, as being the more appealing game because it doesn't have that barrier to entry that uh, a lot of fighters do but yeah, yeah it's cool that's a good e- good email a good email good emails we have lots lots this week yeah but two left next one comes from steve who writes dear chefs and cookware i am writing to reject your notion <laughs> I feel like I should do this in the, like, someone complaints to the BBC voice, <laughs> but maybe that's unfair. Um, points of view. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. <laughs> Sorry. Points of view, not complaints to the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about calling it that, but yeah. someone suggested otherwise. <laughs> Nonsense from the inbox. <laughs> Dear chefs and cookware, I am writing to reject your notion that a Middle Earth orc using the word menu suggests something deeper or hidden about culture in Mordor. <laughs> Actually, this is quite an Alan Partridge email. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. We know that Mordor fields huge, irregular, but organized armies. We know in their encampments and fortresses, they have centralized procurement and logistics in the form of a quartermaster, and that rather than being forced to feed themselves, the armies have a canteen or mess where food is prepared and doled out. We also know that meals are not made to order, semicolon. Everyone gets the same food that's available. What would you call this meal selection that changes based on available supplies? The menu. The defense rests. <laughs> Fangs are glistening, everybody. Steve from Delaware. Um, very good. Very yes. Uh, sure. I was reading up on the etymology of menu, just in case it shed any light on this, <laughs> especially because I didn't know what it was even referring to. Mm. What were you talking about? Just <laughs> that well, menus. So there's, um, I think it was Neil Gorton. I think did a very funny tweet, which was um, pointing out that there's a point in Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers where an orc bellows, "Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys," and that this implies that this orc has been to a restaurant. Yeah. Which I think is very funny. That's quite cute. Uh, obviously, and Steve has pointed out that perhaps it's just referring to the selection of uh, mandatory meals available in the mess back at Isengard. But, but it's like, a mandatory meal. There's no selection. There's no yeah. choice. I, think... I suppose there is, there is you know... You can still have like a set menu, though. What he could be... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not a la looks carte. Like, <laughs> it looks like meat's back on the priest's feast, boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, meat, uh, he was back on the pre-theatre, everyone. It's fine. <laughs> 
but like, oh man, that's <laughs> looks yeah. like meat's back in the soup of the day, boys. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't had time to research this particularly, but it did imply that there was kind of a list, right? And mm. so I, the if even if it was that there was a rotating list of meals in general, or you would make the things that you had the supplies for that day, there's not. It's not a list that someone looks at and then selects no. from. It's the thing is there and you make the thing and yeah. people have to eat that thing or not. You could have bellowed, get looks dinner. like meat's back in stock, boys, and that would have been fine. Back in the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks like meat's part of the Boots meal deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks like meat's awful. two for one, boys. <laughs> What it's was part the- of the Far Cry Five. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it sounded like the Boots Meal deal, right? What was the etymology of menu? Oh, uh, it was. Let me just bring up the thing. This is the thing because um, I am not even sure because it was uh, from the online etymology dictionary, and it says uh, it's from the French menu de repas, which is list of what is served at a meal. <laughs> from Middle French menu. So small and detailed, or small or detailed, from Latin minutus, small, literally made smaller, past participle of minuere, to diminish from root of minus, to diminish, blah, 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 and so on and so on and so on. Um, So computer usage is from 1967, from expanded sense of any detailed list, first attested Mm. 1889. I get the feeling that in France, menu is more about a fixed list of things, because a la carte is the French phrase for, you know, Mm. choose what you want from a list. Presumably, like, if it's coming from, functionally, minutiae is a related word, then it kind of means details, Mm. right? Like, it kind of means, you know, this Mm. is the the specifics of what will be had, which I guess you could apply in this case. However, I'd argue that it doesn't guess, fit. I guess the contention like really is... is more broken down than you would get in a kind of army in, mess. In an orc-based situation. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big like, thing. I, I it can believe... just be what you've torn off a badger and thrown on the fire, right? <laughs> like, we'll be eating meat tonight, boys, would have been fine. <laughs> is all I'm saying. I can believe that they have a uh, differing... Uh, selection of food for the orcs on different days, but I don't believe that they issue them printed lists of what they're going to be eating. <laughs> and seat them at tables, round circular tables with candles. <laughs> Looks like Meat Monday's coming three days early because it's Friday, boys. Or like they would have like Weatherspoon steak night or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looks like beer and a burger's back on the menu, boys. Like I can imagine that they might have different tiers of food. Like they would serve the choicest cuts to the higher you know like to the basically the ones that could duff you up the hardest but i i still don't think that that sounds like a menu in the sense that i understand it or in the sense that the dictionary seems to to push Mm. it if you see what i mean Mm. yeah we spent too long on this almost (laughs) entirely um no i i completely agree with everything everybody said about this topic (laughs) (laughs) good that's that's settled our final question is a grudge uh, which comes from Henry. Uh, he says, Tom's short rant at Skyrim guards a couple of pods back reminded me of one of Oblivion's most infuriating aspects. I would like to add the following grudge to your tome. Aside, I don't remember what this is. And neither, <laughs> neither does Tom S. So, nope. <laughs> so 
We made a joke what about. What did we rant about? Tell I us. don't remember either. <laughs> Sounds like the sort of thing we would rant about, especially after a few whiskeys, perhaps. Well, essentially, things don't have to have occurred eighty whatever episodes ago for you guys to have completely forgotten. <laughs> yeah, they very were. true. I like yeah. this. I'm not sure what I said <laughs> earlier tonight. <laughs> he says uh, the suggested voice for this grudge, and he's provided a suggested voice, which is very helpful because mm. it means I don't have to think of one, and I haven't been doing them for a while, so I guess I'm doing this again. Is old man storyteller by the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Pip just rolled her eyes. There's your update on Pip's face. Any given evening. <laughs> I think old. You tried to pretend to be Poro so many times. When? Like you just said that you wanted to be him and to meander off and do like. I'm not going to do this in the pyro voice though. I, I don't know if I've got the the souchet. Fine. <laughs> I don't. I don't have the souchet. Let alone the cachet. <laughs> um, picture the scene. There is no one in sight. I sneak through a dark alleyway before picking the lock at the house of my target. I find my target asleep upstairs, just as expected. Unsure if I can strike a single killing blow, I take an extra precaution adding a spell of paralysis to my dagger. I swing, and just as expected, my victim is not slain, but finds himself unable to move, or even utter a sound before... Stop right there, criminal scum! Oh, for goodness sake, there's a guard in the bedroom. <laughs> does he live here? I don't think he lives here. How does he know? How do they always know? <laughs> I know this story doesn't paint me in a good light, grandchildren, <laughs> but I can't a magical Argonian catch a break here and there? It was for a quest. Oblivion's magical guards, somehow capable of sensing any and all criminal activity through walls, drove me insane and really turned me off the game. Fortunately, I wasn't alone, as someone on the internet Handily made no more psychic guards mod. Thanks for enabling my fiendish ways, friend. <laughs> good potting to you, Henry. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> you can't do that voice until you've had several glasses of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Can I have some more whiskey. It's prerequisite, yes. The thing is, you do sound like the father of the other voice that you do, <laughs> which is... It's a whole lineage here. It's a little family. But, like... You know your go-to voice of pretending to be a Victorian man Hello. who is going to meet his wife in the east wing of the house for their, you know, yearly, yearly pumpy pumpy. Y- yes. Like, that's, that, that's <laughs> that, the that's father. Bringing of... that up is going to raise more questions. Than... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, darling. See, this How is what I meant about the Poirot thing. Is it's not that you want to be Poirot; it's that I you want prefer- to be one of the people who's in a Poirot story. I want to be. I want to be. What I really want to be is the cross-looking, pissed man, as in English pissed, that didn't do it, but his bow ties undone in the dining room <laughs> scene in Poirot. <laughs> what I know I am is the fidgety, well-meaning, nervous bookish man that also didn't do it in the dining room scene in in Poirot. 
Um, but I mean, of the two, I, I, you know, I'd actually love to be Poirot, but there's, I mean, this is a journey that this is something I've got to I deal with. I'm still talking. Mm. What do you guys think of the, um, <laughs> the thing Kenneth, I just read? Kenneth Branagh Poirot mm. trailer? <laughs> oh, not I that. can't, oh, I just can't no. with that thing. And also <laughs> Imagine Dragons. It's got what? so it's yeah. got Imagine Dragons is Warriors over the top, which was previously used for the League of Legends World Championships 2015. Yeah, and what? I was not. I can't. It's I got just like can't. so the 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 Orient Express like bursts over a mountain to a fucking dubstep womp. If I'm remembering this correctly, <laughs> I might be misremembering. This. Also, it does that thing of like the Sherlock kind of he's words got magic vision on the oh, screen. Yeah. So, and, like midway through the train, you do see Poirot himself till the very end, and it's got like him walking through the train, but with like fucking Poirot vision, which is like Batman's detective vision, Aww. and it's like you know the Doctor. The heiress. Uh, I sort of read that as a, like a trailer conceit. No, I think that's his fucking Poirot oh, no. vision. No. And like, but and the then, thing oh, is, no. I have no intention of watching it because Johnny Depp's in it. And, and I'm then, so. Oh no. Yeah. Because it keeps getting worse. I know. <laughs> and then it pans up on him at the end and it's like a kind of skinny Poirot with a huge grey moustache. It's Kenneth Branagh, obviously. Mm. And he stares deep into the camera and says like, I am Hercule Poirot. The greatest detective in the world. Warm. <laughs> Imagine dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can kind of, I can see Branagh pulling it off. I just, everything else you said leaves me with disgust. Like, I kind of, I was, I was kind of gonna go with it because I'm so on board with, uh, Warriors as a song. Mm. Just, I, it's it it tipped well over from guilty pleasure into mainstay of my life yeah. uh pretty soon after it launched um and but then i i really really don't want to watch johnny depp in anything so i yeah i'm a bit like oh well i think isn't johnny depp playing the murder victim hooray definitely watch it then <laughs> oh, the murder victim is like a massive asshole in that story okay isn't he yeah it's it's got this thing of like um this tagline is everyone is a suspect but it's like well no, just the people on the train are a suspect right? <laughs> that's the whole point it's like other, than, from... other than Poirot <laughs> we should clarify other than Poirot everyone else no one not on the train also not Poirot <laughs> <laughs> the train did it yeah exactly we don't know how far Poirot vision extends as well as the other that's true. problem <laughs> Maybe like can he, he see he, God? Maybe he can't exactly, like, yeah. or maybe he can't switch it off. It's like there's a, there's a rock. Yeah, I know. He looks, <laughs> oh. looks down. The rock like, did it. Your leg. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know. Power has accidentally activated closed captioning in my own brain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I was kind of I was willing to go six. I'm not. David Suchet will always be my Poirot, if you mm. see what I mean. He's but I have, Poirot. Yeah. He's but I have Poirot. No... not many people have a strong, clear picture of Poirot that isn't David Suchet. <laughs> True, but I, but I also don't have any objections to other people like taking on Poirot, and I would be interested to see them giving it a go. Like for example, I picked up the two Sophie Hannah uh, Poirot novels because the Agatha Christie estate has entrusted the IP to her and she has come up with two new stories and I'm still letting them settle and figuring out what I think of both of them. So it's it there's not a preciousness, but I just yeah, by the end of that trailer I was like, and I'm done <laughs> I am so out. <laughs> I watched the um uh on uh now TV, I watched the first episode that they have of the Poirot 
series mm. um and then i skipped straight to murder on the Orient express which is really late it's like season yeah, 12 yeah. or something and man has he changed he is like a malevolent god <laughs> they also this get... force of just fury oh, and malice and the also... first one is like comedy idiot <laughs> <laughs> they're like so kind of lunchtime murder mystery at the beginning and like towards the well i mean in the later few seasons especially they are so let's do this cinematically and let's have loads of like visual conceits that we then hammer home at every available opportunity and in one uh in one of them there's like a real religious overtone that is really not there in other ones mm. and my sister and i both watched it and found it so jarring and whatsapping each other like what the <laughs> hell <laughs> like what's happened to poro what's going on and murder on the express has a strong catholicism Theme. yeah to be fair they did like stick with that for a few uh a few of the like i guess tv films that they made but yeah certainly the earlier ones they're a lot shorter they're a lot snappier and they're a lot just more bouncy yeah so and the first one like the running joke is that he would even care that housekeeper has gone missing <laughs> it's like everyone's mocking him for it oh i heard i i heard rumors prior that you're investigating a housekeeper that can't be true though get it <laughs> but this is the thing like Poirot's revenge is the kind of slow revenge an actor from British society is a tall, pretty British class <laughs> society who are fucking ridiculous and can't stop killing each other. But the th- one of the interesting things, though, is that at the beginning, um, when the series first starts, there are some where he isn't really accompanied, but a lot of them, there's um, Inspector Jap, there's Miss Lemon, there's Hastings. Like, he's got a little gang. And then towards the end, when he's older, it does focus a lot on him being alone Mm. and on you know the fact that love was not a thing that he ended up having you know he he does like younger women but he has well he has some dalliances that are really touching but never go anywhere and it's like they're heartbreaking really heartbreaking and then you sort of see a a lonely man at the end Mm. like just you know with all of this respect but He's got his valet, George. Yeah. He is He is the answer to the question, what if Batman and the Penguin were the same character? <laughs> um, look forward to our spin-off, Poirot. <laughs> I would totally do the, the fucking thing. Well, Poirot, Poirot, hour. <laughs> oh, we could totally do that. And then I could tell you everything I love about Ariadne Oliver. Yeah, she's great. And we could follow up with uh, Midsummer Murders <gasps> retrospective. Oh yeah. my God, that could keep us going for years. <laughs> there are so many. The Poirot fucking watch through podcast. <laughs> oh man. What is she, like, the, the, the hardest thing of watching Poirot today is every episode has a British character actor who went on to be in something else, probably Game of Thrones. Fastbender was in one of yeah, the Yeah, Fastbender was in recently. recently, like Alice Eve, uh, guy, uh, guy who plays Peter Baelish in Game of Thrones was in one of them recently. Like, every episode contains at least one person who you're gonna spend the entire episode going, I, <laughs> ah, not sure how we got on this from, actually, you know what? I can make this relevant. Wouldn't I, I it want be brilliant? to accept this grudge, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Oblivion's guard AI, just fix it by making them all Poirot. <laughs> An omniscient detective who just appears wherever crime is by magic every week. Mm. And always knows who did it perfectly mm. without any kind of ambiguity. That would be amazing. You would forgive them if instead of the kind of the potato-faced Oblivion men who show up and say, you know, stop that, criminal scum, blah, blah, blah. Mm. If it was just... 
if it was like David Suchet's Edgar Poirot kind of appears in someone's materializes in someone's bedroom to stop you doing a murder and you can I pay him 15 you. gold and you'll forget your crime <laughs> no you rotate around his face with the, the, the emotion wheel the, same, the emotion <laughs> wheel and he has the same joke. totally unflinching kind of just disdain for the British aristocracy <laughs> maybe yeah. his moustache should move a little bit <laughs> yeah his face stays exactly yeah. the same yeah. when his moustache goes, goes left to right in but like if you do get away with it if you do commit like some atrocious set of murders wherever you are maybe that would be the luther mod and like he would come in yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, a, you can you can cheat but if your character if your player character is a um a, a, a recently shamed but badly treated young female member of the british aristocracy he takes a sort of faint continental sympathy upon you mm. and lets you get away with especially it especially the hedge maze was involved yeah <laughs> indeed yeah i would also totally accept it if the guards were like columbo and they totally know you did it, but they're not going to let on just yet. And they've been really, really nice to you and polite and indulgent of your alternate theories that you have to come up to as to how this cheese wheel was stolen. <laughs> they turn well, around as they're leaving. But surely, surely the, 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 uh, the owner could have simply left the cheese wheel behind and forgotten it. And then the guards say, oh, you, you must be right, sir. That, that actually explains that. I totally understand. <laughs> and then only three weeks later do they actually arrest you with this damning evidence. Maybe it should, just, it should randomize the detective that catches <laughs> And the behavior changes depending. So if you, get, if you get the Luther one, uh, in between every sentence, he destroys a random piece of furniture yes. to, to, to express his inner rage and then returns to the conversation again. And then contacts the local, like, the the most recently arrested psychopath to get their input. Case, right. you know. Yeah, he's got his sidekick who is and if definitely the person who did it, yes. If it's Jessica Fletcher, if you try and attack her, immediately uh, the captain of the guard emerges from the shadows behind her and it was revealed that she was just getting you to confess. <laughs> This is an amazing idea. Yeah. We should, yeah, and like there's like literally like a rubber banding system with Columbo where he will <laughs> like he, he, he knows where doors set. are and he yeah. knows when you know precisely. Like after he, to... if you de-aggro him, he will turn around like after a certain <laughs> distance. AI radius as he goes back just, to his spawn point. Just one more thing. Just <laughs> exactly. one more thing. Yeah, exactly. The, like, the Columbo algorithm. Yeah, yeah exactly. I want the patch notes, which is like adjusted Columbo's rubber banding radius. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that's so good. Yeah, this oh, is the best Oblivion up, mod. Yeah, like you're saying, he'd come up uh, like a few weeks later, but like with his wife's theory <laughs> about the cheese wheel, and you'd have to sit through it. My like... wife, she's got this crazy notion. <laughs> I know, it totally doesn't make any sense. It would be every time you sleep when you wake up, Columbo yes. standing there. <laughs> I'm so sorry to bother you, sir. It's just one more thing. It's just been bugging me all night. <laughs> Like the, the the fucking Lucian Dark the Dark Brother, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucian woken up in the night Columbo. and he's just like Lucian Lachance is there, but so is Columbo. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so sorry to intrude. I didn't raise you at company. I'll, I'll just go. This can wait. This can wait. <laughs> I like what we've solved or proposed. I I want this mod to happen. Email us with this mod. <laughs> Yeah, see that mountain? You can go there, then come back a little bit, and then go go back there. <laughs> uh, good. That's all of the uh, emails we have time for. And we probably went way over time. <laughs> um, if you'd like to send us an email for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us questions at creightoncrowbar.com. doesn't need to be a question, though. It can be a grudge or just a prompt to talk about Poirot. <laughs> That's fine as well. Uh, if you would like to hang out with our community, you can do so on Discord. The link for our Discord channel is in the website at creatingcrowbar.com. You can also visit our YouTube channel at creatingcrowbar.com forward slash YouTube. But the other way around, youtube.com forward slash crowbar. That's correct. 
Creighton Grubber is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers, uh, who enable us to do this podcast and Miniatures Monthly and the Bloodborne thing and all sorts of those things. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. As ever, we appreciate your likes and rates and subscribes and iTunes reviews and things that make us look better in the big algorithm that determines which things people see. Thumbs up on Steam. Thumbs up on <laughs> Steam. <things>. Everybody. <laughs> we should get on Steam. We should get on Steam. We have a, we have a Steam curator page. That is true. That, we should uh, probably I, look at that one day. <laughs> yeah, I think Marsh has the login details. Hmm. Dead to us now. And the rights to our game. And yeah. the rights to our game. Exactly. At fault for everything we haven't done. <laughs> um, if you'd like to follow us as individuals but not in a creepy way I'm on Twitter at C Thurston that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N Pip oh, I'm at Philippa War which is at P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R any Tom I Tom Senior um, <laughs> at PCG is PCG Ludo which is L-E-D-O <laughs> And I, John Francis, am at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.